0: Listening to the hottest true crime podcast in the street.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder, the Equal Opportunity True Crime Comedy Podcast. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, So Evans. What up? Oh, yes, right minute, <laughs> you forget you have that drop, yeah, man, I got that on deck at all, all times. First and foremost, I want to give a shout out to any of our new listeners, um, day one listeners, anybody who stumbled upon this during due to recent activity. There's been this wave of... Um, people that want to give you know uplift black voices in podcasting mm-hmm. so we might have some people that are here because of that reason okay whether or not they stick around just want to say hello welcome yeah. hello. you know like i said i'm thanks. alvin and that's frank and uh thanks for listening we are typically not the uh i don't know the woke podcast i mean we're just two black dudes yeah that give our perspective on the world and give our perspective while telling true crime stories yeah but um This episode is going to be a little bit different, I think, for at least the first 15, 20 minutes of this. You know, we can't not talk about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last week, we did not put out an episode. I put out a brief. um, I felt compelled to put out something as opposed to putting out nothing. And I just did a brief thing with a friend of mine, Les, and uh, just to send condolences to George Floyd and his family and just kind of let people out in the streets all around the world know that, you know, we stand with them and we respect what they're doing. And so, how has the last couple of weeks been for you, friend? Um, a bit of an
2: emotional rollercoaster, a little
1: bit. Sure. Um, understandable. Yeah. Uh,
2: it's a lot going on. I mean, for me personally, it's just like for stuff that's um very important to me. Uh. Uh-huh. It takes a while to for me to like. You think about it, but it takes a while for it to set in, and then for it to, for me to have some type of reaction to it.
1: That's a good thing, though. Yeah, because a lot of people just go. Yeah, instead of formulating what they really want to say, you know. So it's good to step back and really let it process it. You know? Yeah,
2: but that's for anything important, like you know, when I had Sophie was born, it took a while. Like, sure. Until like when she was able to say "dad," and that's what I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> was like, like oh, "This shit is. Oh, this is a person." Yeah, 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 yeah this yeah. is a fucking human being. I gotta take care of. Yeah. This. but it's just um, it's a lot, man. It's it's, it's really a lot going on. I mean, it's. Some days I wake up, you just think a lot, and then uh, one day I woke up and just like started bawling because it was yeah. just like, "What the fuck is going on?" And like, yeah. it's not me having kids; it's not about me anymore. So it's right. like, what is this me world trying to protect my kids? And yeah, like I'm not worried about me; it's yeah. me worried about them Understand and how sure. the world's going to treat them and how they're going to react. Yeah, to you know whatever they have to deal with because they they mostly have my skin color. So it's like, absolutely, it's hard. To, it's hard to, when you think about it, it's like. They your kids, man. I don't want nobody. I will fucking I will kill somebody for my kids. Period. Absolutely. So it's like, it's a lot, man. It's it's a lot.
1: Yeah. Um It's crazy times, man. Um yeah. it's a lot to process. I feel like I say it on this podcast a lot, but I just I always like to let people know that. Um I think the black experience is very we have an understanding of the a lot of the same things, but yeah. black people are not monolithic. Right. So a lot of these people that are in these crowds and protesting, they aren't even protesting for the same thing. Yeah. And that makes a distorted message. Not that we need to put a bow and a ribbon around a message to deliver to people who are being ignorant or naive to what we're saying mm-hmm. in these protests. But when you know, so there's this new movement of like disband the police. Right. Yeah. And I think when you hear that as somebody who is a citizen who never has experienced, you know, uh, a a police state and police being intruding in your neighborhood and looking for reasons to pull people over to meet quotas and, 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 and statistics and things like this, you go disband the police. But what do you do when the, when you need the police, which is not nothing new. That's not new though. Yeah. As far as meeting quota, that's nothing.
2: I saw that come up and I was like, that's not, that's not new at all. It's
1: not, it's not new at all, but it's, people, it's new to people. Yeah. It's new to a lot of these people. The thing that I hated the most about what was happening with this conflation of protesters and rioters is like, people who, well, first of all, we just we just came from, in, our, in, our, in, in the midst of like a, a pandemic that left people out of work, Yeah, hoping for a $1,200 check that some people didn't get, all these kind of things. So we see people busting into a target, busting into this kind of place. That's desperation. Yeah. Now, that's wrong what they did. And first, I want to say rest in peace to that retired police uh, officer who was defending like an electronic store in St. Louis. His name was David, like David Dorn or something like that. They killed that man. You know, rioters killed that man. That wasn't protesters. That was somebody looking for an opportunity. The streets were burning. It was chaos. And they said, OK, let me go get three TVs.
2: Was they beat him up? Or- no, they, shot, they him. shot him.
1: They shot him. You know, so I want to say first and foremost here, we don't stand for shit like that. You know, I stand for protest. I stand for the right to be able to get out there and speak your peace and try to make a difference in this country with your voice. Yeah. And for soldiers who say that they went and fought that and how dare you make a mo whatever. You you fought for the right for people to do it. And so they're doing it. Yeah. You know, when, 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 when Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee, that wasn't cool. Nobody wanted to see that, you know. So now you get this. Yeah. You can't tell people how to protest. What's the right way to protest? What's the wrong way to protest? Because it doesn't seem to be a right way. Yeah. It all everything's the wrong way, but there is no right way to do it because what what but that's the whole point of of protest. Protest is disruption. Nobody there's no right way to protest. Nobody wants to see it. Yeah. So you know when they tried to do it the peaceful way. Get out of here, you're fired. Don't come on the TV anymore. Yeah. And so people people's voices were stifled, and now you get a situation like this. Yeah. You know? So I'm all for it when it's done peacefully. Yeah. And I want to give a shout out to Baltimore because we had a peaceful protest last week. There were no incidences of violence. Nothing got broken. People got their message out there and they're still continuing to do it. And I think that that is a beautiful thing mm. to see, especially in this city, because when yeah. Freddie Gray got killed by the police in this city, they've burnt this motherfucker down, man. Yeah. We saw this before. You know, we already saw this. They were Kids were jumping in fucking UPS trucks yeah. and throwing rocks at police. And we saw all this shit. So to see my city getting commended for doing a peaceful protest, I, that was beautiful to me. Yeah. That put tears in my eyes. Because I know what it looks like when, when when everybody's covered in gasoline and that match gets struck and, and it gets thrown on it and, and the, everything goes up in flames. Yeah. You know, that wasn't long. That was 2016. Yeah. You know, so... I want to give a shout-out to my to, to Baltimore for that, and I want to give a shout-out to these protesters worldwide and, and, and nationwide and citywide, all across everywhere. Just, you know, this has been the largest protest that anybody's ever seen happening, yeah. you know? And people are fed up. People are incredibly fed yeah. up. But I think the message gets lost. See, so what happens is um, George Floyd gets killed, right? And it kind of sparks this. He becomes a symbol. But I think... The people, because there's still a ton of people who are opposed to everything that's happening. Yeah, it's a lie. Police don't kill people a lot, and all these kind of things. And I, what I implore people to do is you do your own research. Don't just blindly follow somebody who you think is impassioned or whatever. Do your own research. Formulate your own opinion. Mm-hmm. Because what I'll say is, I don't fear police genocide, because just statistically now. Those numbers could be false, but just statistically, the numbers that are thrown in our face, police killing people, the numbers aren't, they aren't killing thousands of people a year. Mm -hmm. But that's the message, that's what I mean by the message is getting conflated. Because what I want to talk about, and I want people, what I want people to talk about and continue to educate themselves, is the war on drugs that's been failing the black community for decades, okay? These police have been instructed to go into these neighborhoods and look for drugs, Look for drugs and guns. And that is because drugs are still illegal in this country and it creates a prohibition type of state. Al Capone is one of the biggest gangsters that's ever walked the streets of America. And he was selling alcohol when they legalized alcohol, crime and drugs and people with the Tommy guns, all that shit, it plummeted because you could just go into a liquor store and buy alcohol. Yeah. You know? So instead of legalizing marijuana for a start, and trying to find different ways to treat people with addiction as opposed to making what they their, their problem demonized and they have to live in this CD life of crime and elite illegalities we say well that's black on black crime let's just lump all that in that's all black on black crime what's happening in those sit city- you know if you want to talk about don't talk to me about police killing black people so you talk me about black people killing black people and the people that bring that up know nothing about what's happening in those cities they know nothing about the systemic issues that have created that cycle of violence and how police are directly involved in that system and how they are a key pillar in the system of police and and, and criminal justice criminal injustice in this country but that's a shut up the black on black uh crime uh statistic thrown in somebody's face is a shut up yeah don't talk i don't care about george floyd why don't you stop killing your own people? And what I want people to be informed about is the, the the police state in this country and how the war on drugs is killing. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people and have been killing people for decades and how the police have used the same playbook, which is go in, look for drugs, pull people up if they look suspicious, you know, uh, round them up. Search their pockets and whatever you find, charge them for it. Yeah. A police's job in 2020 is not to uh, de-escalate, keep the peace. None of that. Their job is to find drugs, make busts and get revenue for their district. Yeah. That is a police officer's job. I, I wish people I, I, I would say people you should go look up who Michael Wood Jr. is. He was a former police officer in Baltimore City. He's done multiple interviews exposing what the job of a police officer is. And they demonize, they're like, fuck that. The police, you know, because you you talk about bad apples and whatever, and you get a guy like Michael Wood Jr. who steps up and says, hey guys, we're doing this job really wrong. Mm. And they go, fuck him, you're fired. Yeah, You can never be a police officer because you're not a part of the brotherhood. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, a system that like, uh, punishes people like that, or somebody who says, I want us all to be good apples. Mm-hmm. If you punish that person, then the whole system's fucked up. Yeah. The system's not designed for, the, the job of a police officer is not designed for there to be no more police officers. Because that's what you want. You want a police to be, when I call the police, they show up. That should be the job of a police officer. Mm-hmm. Imagine if firefighters just were going door to door knocking when they smell smoke or your fire alarm goes off for a second because you burned the steak and they they just at the door, kick your door in. Yeah. What holds down everything in your house. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? I yeah. didn't even I'll call I'll call you. But police have become an occupied force in a lot of these major cities across the country because their job is to find the drugs, mm-hmm. make the bus, and put bet put heads and beds in these private prisons. Yeah. So don't talk to me about black on black crime if you don't know anything about the war on drugs and how it's been a war on black people since the nineteen seventies and probably before then, probably since the since prohibition on alcohol was lifted and it became a prohibition on drugs. So if you don't know anything about that stuff, then don't talk to me about what happened in Chicago because that's a byproduct of a system. Mm -hmm. And somebody getting shot, George Floyd getting shot dead in the street is a byproduct of a system. But people are really focusing in on that and using that as what should change. Racist police and whatever, racist or not, good person or not, I have family that are police officers. I believe that they're decent people, mm-hmm. but their job is not to be a decent person. Their job is to uphold a system that's been in place before they were ever there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the problem. Not one, not a guy, yeah. whether they're racist or not. The guy that held his knee on George Floyd very well could have been racist, very well could have been a decent guy, nice guy with family or whatever, but his job is these people are animals in this community. I've been doing this job X amount of years. I know what they're like. Fuck them. It's us against them. It's the mentality that that job creates. I don't even know what that dude was thinking. I don't even know. He wasn't thinking. He was acting. He was acting based on the way he was trained or the way he wasn't trained since he's been in the force. That's what he's trained to do. Get control of the situation. Bust heads. Take control. There is no de-escalation. They listen to you. That's it. That's why when you watch these videos and you see people going, they're trying. But the way that those police officers are trained is it's us against them. Get control, and then we'll listen to stories. Somebody going, "Hey man, they' you're. He's suffocating. Don't worry about them. Hey, officer such and such, make a perimeter, get them back. Yeah, with the knee still on the neck. Yeah, their job isn't to listen to you. Your their your job is to tell them to be quiet and get control. Mm-hmm. That's the job. You know. And again, I think there are probably definitely good people who are police. I think Michael Wood Jr., this guy that I'm talking about, was a good person who was a police officer. He was in the Marine Corps. I think he was, he described himself as like the ideal candidate for being a police officer. He knows how to shoot a gun. He knows how to handle himself in time of crisis because he was in war. He's well-trained. He's in good shape. He has a master's degree. And he said that type of person, at least as far as Baltimore is concerned, was 20% of the force. 20% of the people there have prior training, to before, you know, but most of the people it
2: was like a security guard,
1: shit. a security guard, or nothing, just yeah. a person who wanted to be a police officer. Yeah. You only have to hit 70% of your targets from like three to 15 yards away. That's from where we're sitting to the door, and you don't, and they let you keep shooting until you get 70%. It's not like, oh, you didn't get 70%, you failed the test, go home. Yeah. You just keep, you get to keep shooting until you get what they ask you to get. I can do that. And they only try, they only do it once a year. Once a year, you got to prove that you can shoot a gun. Under no under no stress at a dummy at a sign mm. you know so when we're talking about police training, defunding the police when people say defund the police they're not saying just just take their money away. Yeah. they're saying defund the police and put it into these communities that these police are are commanding over and and lording over and try to make a difference from ground level you
2: mean by like having more strict training
1: I'm saying, hiring I'm, saying I'm saying I'm saying open more open power centers back up. After school programs, take the money from them and put it into the community because the goal should be to not need police. The goal should, they should never be needing I, more police. Yeah,
2: but I think they need to sh- put more tight rules on the on the uh, training as Absol- far as hiring police officers.
1: Absolutely. But there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. Right. So I agree with that. But I also agree that having tanks and, and rubber bullets and all this kind of stuff ready to go for when the po- people have finally had enough and revolt. Why is that just sitting in some, that's millions of dollars of equipment just sitting in a room that's not being used? The goal should be to not need equipment like that and try to fix the community. Because black people can't fix the community by themselves. Yeah. All they can, all all we can do as a community, which I thought was a beautiful thing. We had an incident where, I don't know what happened at this crab place, but apparently the guy said some racially problematic things online. And people went to his store and said, fuck him, we're not shopping here anymore. And then everybody went and shopped at black owned crab places. Yeah. Funnel your money back into your own community. That's one way to uplift your own community. But another way to up for the community to be un, uplifted is to take them from underneath a boot that's been on their neck for decades. Yeah, I you like
2: know? I like what happened the other day. Yeah, I think yesterday it was yesterday. But
1: I just what I I'm
2: not gonna say I don't like it. I I feel like if we gonna if we if black people gonna take that stand, mm-hmm. we need to do it from Jump
1: Street. We sure. need to do it ten years. Don't bring it up nine years ago. Yeah, I agree with you, but we can't. Be those types of people who say, "Oh now, oh now, you want to do this?" If they're doing it now, and again, I just want to make it clear. Like I said, do your own research, okay? Um, George Floyd was an imperfect human being. Yeah, you know he was he 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 had some addiction issues and he had some. Who addiction. is I? I just hate hearing who is perfect though. But that's my point. That's my point. I, but I just want to get it because I want I want to make sure people know that I have done all. I've looked at all the sides. Yeah. I don't want to ever be the person that's like, George Floyd was this and he was an angel and all this kind of stuff, because that's the that's the arc. You give them you give them an argument to have. So I I secede to people who I shouldn't even have to argue with, but I will. I'll entertain them. Right. I'll secede to people that George Floyd was an imperfect human being. He had some borderline apprehensible crimes on his record, Mm -hmm. but nobody knew that when they had his knee on his neck for eight minutes and 40 something seconds. The police officer didn't know that.
2: So that's, it doesn't matter. That, that doesn't justify.
1: So it doesn't matter. Yeah. But he's a he's a symbol of the system of police brutality and systemic oppression. He's he's not the symbol of a good person, a a a a, a, a perfect. Per, he's not. That's not the symbol. Yeah. So people miss that. He's the symbol of anybody could have, anybody could be a George Floyd. Yeah. You got a clean record. You got a dirty record. Whatever. A police officer rolled up on this dude and handled the situation completely wrong. That's what he's a symbol of. Yeah. And I don't know the solution to this, because the solution that I believe is to end the war on drugs, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, they're not going to they're not going to legalize marijuana federally and legalize uh, heroin use under certain types of conditions to stop people. Because that's what gangs are. Gangs, whether where they came from, Crips, Bloods, whatever, wherever they were supposed to come from, they were born out of protecting a neighborhood from whoever, but at this point in 2020, a gang's job is mostly for the most part a criminal organization. Yeah. They are they put themselves in numbers. We are from this block and we sell drugs here and we are in numbers to defend ourselves from that block across the street coming yeah. over here and taking our territory. Yeah. But if you take away what they're selling and what the crime that they uh what they have to do to survive illegally, if you take it away, then what are they fighting over? You know, I don't mm-hmm. see why there's no urgency to Try it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if somebody's selling, like, if if you rob a liquor store, mm-hmm. if you own a liquor store and somebody comes and and robs your liquor store and gets away, what do you do?
2: If somebody robs them and get away? And they get away.
1: You call the police, right? You call the police. Call the police. You make a report. You send them, give them the cameras and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. you hope they get caught and solve the case, right? Yeah. But if you're selling crack or you're selling weed and somebody robs you, what do you do? You can't call the police. You can't call the police. So you get a gun. Yeah. You get numbers. The next person that tries to look at you even wrong, whatever you hit them in the face. Yeah. You you know, you, it, it makes you a violent person. Yeah. Because you need to be, because if you're not, you're going to get run over by somebody else who is tough. Yeah. So you need to make your reputation because there is no, there is no policing of illegal street activity except against you. Yeah. So if you want to make money as an illegal drug dealer, you need to have a weapon on you. You need to be able to get violent with people and so on and so forth. And what that does is create a cycle of violence. And then maybe you have a people under you who just sell dime bags of weed on the corner. And then that kid is walking down the street and, you know, looks suspicious to a police officer. So he gets pulled over. He has a knife in his pocket because he sells dime bags of weed. And he has a couple dime bags of weed in his pocket. That kid's 14 years old. He gets arrested. Now he's now he's he's a convicted felon. Mm-hmm. He gets let back out. And now he's a career felon. Now he gets back out. He, 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 he can't get a job. His license got suspended while he was in jail because he couldn't get to court to, you know, go through whatever that process was. But he still needs to do what he has to do. Right. Because mm-hmm. you got to drive to get from A to B. So he's driving. He gets pulled over again. He just got out of jail six months ago. He gets pulled over for having a suspended license and he got a little bit of weed in the car. Now he goes to jail again for 14 months. And now you're creating a person from the age of 14 to 30 who has to do illegal activities to survive. Yeah. And then the crim- the crimes escalate. You need more money. So now you're breaking into houses. You need more money, so now you're robbing people. So if you start from a ground level, I think the problem can be fixed. But don't talk to me about black-on-black crime if you're not trying to talk about that. Because it it all stems from something. Yeah. And that's how I feel. Now, on this platform, uh, you know, I like to talk about all kinds of issues. And one of the issues that I found most prevalent is for one, uh, this young lady... I don't know what city she was from, but she was a young black trans woman named Ayana Dior. Uh, It looked like about 20 dudes beat the shit out of this woman, this black woman, this black trans woman in like a grocery store or liquor store or whatever. And um, that brought up the question in my head about intersectionality, right? Uh, It's hard for black people, right? It's hard to be a woman. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be incredibly hard to be a black woman. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, being gay comes along with its own section, own like section of violence and, and difficulties and, and height and, and high, uh, mountains to climb and, and and homophobia and all these things. So what's it like to be a black gay person? Mm. Right now, I can't speak on that topic because I'm not that and you're not that. Yeah. So what I wanted to do was open our platform to somebody who could speak to those things. And so what I want to do is call my friend Les, because what I did, what I did to alleviate my stress and my pain from this is last week i cut my phone off it was me less and sierra we did mushrooms i did mushrooms for the first time and we just sat and tripped out and talked and it was very therapeutic and it felt very good to just speak honestly and openly with a group of people Mm -hmm. about how we feel about the way the world is and he brought up some good points within that conversation so i wanted to open the platform to him to have a discussion briefly about his perspective as a gay black man who's now being called upon by people who might have called him a fag or uh you know a gay or why a sissy or whatever now they're calling on him to march beside him but when this shit is over if it ever ends what happens when what happens then when it goes back to you know business as usual are you still going to call that call him this person those things yeah you know so we can't all be one right now and then when it's over not address the, the issues that were there before this happened so um yeah i'm gonna call less right now <coughs> come on man we discussed this i'm gonna have to to edit this now is this a phone call it's a facetime audio audio. okay all right unbelievable now we gotta take a second
2: huh it's busy man
1: he's not it's like it's a (laughs) pandemic he's not busy so (laughs) so i'm gonna take a second i'm gonna take you should call me. I'm going to call him again. Just give him a time or maybe he's I told him me. I told him around three ish. Okay. Hello. <laughs> Club. Hello. Hello. Hey, did you not get my text message? No. I said I was going to call you around three ish.
4: Oh, no, I didn't get
1: your text message. <laughs> I'm going to hang up the phone and I'm going to call you again and ah! I'm going to edit it. I'm going to edit. i just called you five times. I'm going to edit I'm it to so make sorry. it. <laughs> I didn't get your text message. When did you text me? An
4: hour ago. <laughs> oh. My uh, phone was in a, uh, what's it called, box.
1: A oh, what's it called? What are you at? A, ma- oh, a magic show?
4: A magic show? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, all right. good. Can you talk? Yeah. Oh, okay. You know what, fucking we're going to do it live. We're going to do it live. We we'll do, it live. We'll do it, live. it live. We're plugging you in. Hello, Les, and welcome to uh, Affirmative Murder. Uh me and Fran were just having a discussion about the nonsense that's going on in the world and yeah. we, we wanted we wanted to we wanted to discuss some things because as we know, as you and me discussed, uh there's been, you know, this wave of let's all come together as black people and let's march and let's, you know, and, and let's change things. Uh, but then, you know, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> where are you from? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> I can hear you. Are you, the, are, you the are you at a drag? Are you at a drag brunch? What is this? What's <laughs> <happening>? <laughs> oh,
4: no, I'm in a, am um, in a, uh, uh, floaty in the middle of the lake.
2: Jesus. <laughs>
4: My phone was in a, in a, um, a little locker. Okay, box a waterproof box. Okay,
1: got it, got it, got it, got it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry.
1: God, like, sitting in the middle of a ocean. Well, everybody has to process things these times differently. And he, he's processing <laughs> hey, you it by know floating. What?
4: I've spent a lot of time crying about stuff, but they always like, you know, what? let me get out on the water. Yes. And then, you know, then you're surrounded. <laughs> 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 then you're surrounded by everyone. <laughs> So yeah.
1: But yeah, so <laughs> what me what me and Fran were discussing was this whole wave of, you know, everybody coming together and all these things. God, but, is he like a, it it's like he's
2: like here, in the McDonald's you know. drive-through or something? Right. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It like that. I know. But um so there's there's people that are saying, you know, uh, let's all come together and all these things, but then within our own community, there are trans attacks happening and homophobic attacks happening and um so a lot of those people who don't know that experience are saying, "Not right now." You know, this is about black people. But then a level 57 gay black person enters the chat, you know, and is like, uh, "Hello, I exist." You know, and you gotta have that battle. You gotta have that battle within within each other. So I wanted to just call you and let you attest to those things and speak from your own experience.
4: Yeah. Really Let me,
1: way. you're going sw- to swim I'm away, not, you're paddle not, away from these people?
4: Sorry, I'm literally untying, <laughs> you might edit this part out, I'm untying from everyone else I can't, they're just being annoying and i about to, yeah well,
1: well, don't drown Hold on,
4: give me one second, I'm going to float away <laughs> Alright, hold on Okay, here we go Sorry, there we go. Now I can hear you. Sorry about that. So let me explain. I've we're all tied together on rap. Yes. And now I can hear you properly. Okay. And get my point across. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, it' there's a lot of there's a I've I've been breaking it down because I've been processing like how to get across to different people. Yes. As far as because it's like. I just spent the day with my brother, and it's, it's just like he's just—he thinks like he thinks like an idiot. <laughs> sure, like
1: he yeah.
4: Like he—I feel he thinks like a Trump supporter without supporting Trump. Yes. Like he's so there are those black people. It's it's it's,
1: it's ignorance. It's it, ignorance. It, yeah.
4: It's ignorance, and he all he does is watch like you know conspiracy videos
1: mm.
4: where you know as you know celebrities are uh are, are you know just. <laughs> Like holding these gay rituals and and satanic rituals, and that's why people are dead. and I'm and I'm just like I had to leave. Yeah. But when it comes to this this topic, it's like it's it, it's hard in the black community because it's just like I heard you guys talk about this before on um, past podcasts where it's just like just in the black community we have such a you know, gay is such a not it's something that'll make black people look that type of thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's just not fair because the same way, uh, you know, the same way we have, um, so I had a, I had a talk with a cop last night uh-huh. and when I was out here and I'm, I'm in Indianapolis and I was just telling them how, Hey, I'm very surprised at how um, cool this spot is and, yeah. and how nice it is. And I, I expected like a very racist, environment and very hostile environment and cornfields everywhere. And that's my ignorance. Yes. Um,
1: Which we all have, no matter race. Ignorance Ignorance exists. We
4: all have our own, you know, biases and thoughts of of certain places before we meet them and judgment. And I feel like this time is time for everyone to, that's what this is about. We're all supposed to be going inward and talking about what, type of prejudgment or preconceived notions we have of, on people and Absolutely. Like places. Absolutely. So, and I, I came to this realization that, yes, you know, we as black people, obviously, we wake up black and that, that's that. So, I told the cop, I was like, well, in a sense, I understand because now y'all are getting so much heat. It's not the same thing, but y'all are feeling a little bit of how black people feel. It's like,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm seeing them not, say like not not all cop like the like where yeah, we're like exactly. not all black like people are like, yeah people. don't prejudge They're us. They're some, yeah don't
4: prejudge us. So why are you supposed to be held at a different standard than we are? So it's like it it's, it's such a huge thing. But back to the LGBTQIA community, it's so bad because we have it. it it's coming from inside the house too. Yes. Um, Intersectionality
1: you know, of black yeah, and gay. Yeah. 70s yeah. 80s, in the
4: seventies and eighties, in the seventies and eighties, and yes. Yeah, like, Dave Chappelle made a joke about it, but it's, it's low-key true. In the 70s and 80s, you know, when, you know, we're fighting for gay rights, um, everyone's like, all right, come on, man. You can't be wanting to be a woman. You're a border man. Like, yeah. even in the gay community, it's, like, very – they. It's the same way we feel when we see a robbery happen on on, and then it's like, and they show the mugshot and it's a black like, Yeah,
1: you like come on. That is yeah. Yeah.
4: that's the type of feeling that people are holding within in, inside the gay community when you know trans people are speaking out. What
1: they, say they want, they want their rights. It's like it no, not that way. not you right yeah. now. Yeah,
4: exactly. I'm not. I'm not necessarily a you know a ghetto black person, but that's my family.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
4: And I will defend them. And Absolutely. that's the point of, like, Black Lives Matter. It doesn't matter what kind of black person, if it was a criminal. And I have to explain to people that there's the difference between bad and being racist. I can be a criminal my whole life. I can be a bad person. Yes. I cannot take care of my kids as a father. I, like, that. you can have bad traits. Yes. But it's completely different than being racist. Like Absolutely. in your heart. Absolutely. So um, when it comes to this, it's such a hard discussion that I don't think is going to get I mean and, and that may sound very defeatist, but that's a hard talk to have with you know you know your own people Absolutely because I couldn't imagine talking to Matt like I was going to say something like when I was with my brother um, when I was at his place and it just it just seems like such a dead horse when I'm already fighting so many of my own friends Absolutely the media about the black causes and so I think the most thing I can do, because I, I shared the story of Emmett Till on my um, Instagram story, and I've had a ton of messages being like, I never heard that story in my life.
3: It, That's yeah, crazy. really? Wow. So I, yeah.
4: So I didn't know. You don't know. So all I'm saying to everyone out there is like you just got to, even if you don't want to, you know, have the direct talk with somebody, if it's something like you have a, a voice or an avenue or a social media platform that you can just post information that people don't know about yeah and i can post to my face turns blue but all my friends sort of have the same way of thinking absolutely so it takes the person with a different friend group it takes having balls to be able if you can educate your friend that's on the top of their friend circle pyramid yeah that's how you get things like this
1: yeah Um, it's got it's got to infiltrate it's It's got to it's got to pierce the bubble yeah,
4: and I don't want to take up too much of you guys' time, but um, that my friend that I stayed with in in Key West, um, she's a she wants. I guess she's on her way to being an influencer. I don't. I'm not sure about that. But
1: um, I, hate, I hate that word. But continue.
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in in that sense, it's just like she has a ton of people that yes. listen to her, and oh, what do you do with this? Or what's this? That and the third. Absolutely. And because she spends over. Three weeks with me, I didn't use that time to just like gossip and kiki and talk about people. I, this is what we have to do as Black people. If we hold other circles, yes, that don't really know about ours, we have to explain it to them. Yes, and we also have to have the knowledge. So it's like we can't just yes. be like, "Well, I don't know about that." Yes. I don't know about that. You
1: need we, to be educated. We
4: have to be educated because
1: you got to be able to disseminate the message to somebody else.
4: Exactly,
1: exactly. And and do away with know. that feeling of like it's it's not my job to teach you. It's like you exactly. uh, you don't you don't have to teach somebody, but you can just preach, and whoever wants to whoever gravitates towards the message, you might have just changed the way they see the world. You know. Exactly. So just speak exactly. openly. You don't gotta. You don't gotta. Force people to listen to you, but just speak openly, and peop people will gravitate to- gravitate towards it, and you could change yeah. somebody's perspective on the world.
4: One hundred percent, one hundred percent, and then it, it brings back to the um T. S. Madison is a huge voice in the transgender community, which is a community I'm I'm learning about now too. E- either way, it's like I have one trans friend in Key West, and You know, she's the one, she's the reason I found out about the um, trans man that was just um, murdered in um, somewhere in Florida Yeah, heard
1: about
4: that. Yeah. But that's not going to make
1: the headlines of a newspaper at a time like this. That's a huge story. Yeah.
4: That right now, people just want black and white.
1: Yes, yes.
4: They want black and white. Yes. Like, they're not going to, that's a whole different thing, and then people are going to start bringing religion into things. Yes. And... That's just not a sellable thing for the media right now. Yeah. So, of course, that's not going to get any buzz. But that's our job with platforms to share this information. Absolutely. Because I honestly used to think, hey, nobody's listening to me. Nobody wants to hear this. Nobody's going to care. And here I am. I just, I launched it the other day and shared, like, a bunch of personal stories of racism. And people are like, oh, I would never have guessed.
3: Of course, if they not. don't go through it, yeah. But they would
4: never think about it, yeah. So, it, it, it's a big thing, but in short, I feel like not just with the LGBTQA uh, community, um, there just needs to be a lot more open discussions, and especially if you know you and I have a friendship where we can talk about we talk about absolutely everything, yeah. So, even if I give you, but I'm still you know teaching you what I learned, absolutely, to me what you learned, absolutely. So Honestly, there's there's so much power in communication. Yes. And I feel like just going forward, this whole COVID thing was such a a big, um, such a big, it helped. Yeah. people had to sit
1: and listen and they couldn't go anywhere. Exactly. So they had to see and process.
4: Oh, RIP, oh, Black Lives Matter, it would have been just another. Yeah. But because people were forced to watch it made a huge difference. So if people talk that COVID had no, no positive, you know, out thing of what happened, this is the one thing. Like yeah. we all, we all things. saw this. And I really feel like there was a big push and change. And I don't think I'm being naive about it because even me just seeing the little change that I made and just communicating with people. Yeah. I, I think, I think they're on a, on a better, on a better road. For sure. And, and I think that, um, Just through open communication with your inner circles like don't you don't need to tell me about your experiences because i've been through (laughs) yeah we we just gotta have if it's that one friend that just doesn't quite get it yeah we probably should spend more time with them yes it's uncomfortable but that's where that's where we're at we gotta be uncomfortable
1: yeah um and we gotta make these changes yeah me before before i let you go back to swimming or drinking white claws, whatever you're doing um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Me and Sierra had a discussion earlier about um she brought up a good point because I've been using the word ignorant to but just saying um even even if it's not malicious ignorance, ignorance is ignorance. And yeah. she and she brought up a good point where it's like there's a difference between ignorance and naivety. And naivety yeah. is more innocent. Yeah naivety na naivety ignorant, is naivety is being offense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that I'm gonna to try to start using that word because some people are ignorant. Some people don't wanna hear what you're saying and they don't wanna yeah, know. They don't wanna hear like the ignorance. yeah, they don't want to hear the yeah. facts or anything or the the stories or the anecdotal, whatever. They don't want to hear they just have their mind made up and they're not gonna be changed. But naivety is the oh my god, wow, I had no idea. Yeah Oh, I've never even exactly thought that way. That's, that's, n- that's and those that's are people 100%. who can absorb your 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 stories. Those are people who can change.
4: One hundred percent people who are just
1: willfully ignorant they're probably going to be that way. I'm, you know, I don't think I have anybody in my life who is willfully ignorant. I think I have people <laughs> I in my life who are naive. <laughs> yeah,
4: <That's fine>. <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think I have people in my life who are naive. But I yeah. think that talking to those people and sharing those stories can make a difference in their life. So that is why I've changed my whole stance on. Well, my stance was never like I'm not anybody's teacher, but I think other people should yeah. change their stance on that because there are some people who just genuinely naive. You don't know what you don't know. You know, and some people don't want to know it, but some people just don't. They don't know. They don't know it also because they don't have the people in the corner to tell them. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Very close worldview. Yeah, this is
4: why. And it's like, I know I've been saying, man, I'm about to like make my friend group smaller. But I always disagreed with people deleting people when they got into political arguments and stuff like that because I'm like, no, that's your that's your opportunity to teach. Yes. But the people that are deleting them are just having these. They're just the other side. You're yeah. Literally just just as aggressive as they are. They're just like, oh, we you won't listen to me. I'm yeah. Not right. Then we're done.
3: Yeah.
1: You but that could be ignorance way. too, though. Yeah, it's ignorance on, yes, ignorance. Oh, yes, you can yeah. be, you can think you're you could be righteous oh, and oh, and you're, oh, you're you yeah. could you could be on the right side and be yeah. ignorant. Because oh, somebody yeah. just might not fully be on the same side as you. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you're like, so well, then you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's ignorance. Talking, yes. There's
4: a lot of talking within the house that you need to do too. Like people that are just, if you have a friend that's just go off every time they're online. Yeah. That's a friend you can be like, yo, you're not, you're not going to get through to anybody. Yes. Doing that. So I feel. A discussion. It's just A, a lot discussion. A discussion done yes <laughs> yes yes and I'm, I'm now feeling the weight because it, it, it's everyone's responsibility absolutely like i i'm and, for, and this is another thing it may seem petty but i'm not gonna get out black by some like by somebody that just read more than i did <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> i feel a little ashamed <laughs> when i have to learn things from somebody from somebody that's not a person of color. yes so like, oh, yes I
3: it's
1: I like should you, know you should be doing your homework and I have no yeah issues. exactly absolutely
4: so uh, I'm 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 here. I'm, I'm I'm listening and I'm learning, and a lot of white people need to be doing the same. Yeah, um, yeah. Don't and, don't fucking.
1: You, know, you don't need to shave your head. We don't need. Listen, I don't need yeah. anybody coming up to me and getting on one knee and apologizing for being no, white. Like, anybody I'm who th- anybody who that convinces that. you that that's what they want you to do is a detriment. To I don't want any white person to come to me and like I don't want white people to be slaves. Just read a no. book, bro. Just read a book. No. That's I'm asking for the bare minimum. Just read a book,
4: read a book and, a and understand.
1: Or you can just come and ask. Come and ask. Come and ask. And what, listen. You know, yeah, exactly. I don't need anybody to apologize to me on bended knee, nope. crying nope. to me. I don't need anything. Just listen and learn. Yeah. Just be open. That's all. That's all it is. It, it, it's, all it's really is. that simple.
4: So don't... don't... We, we keep, that's one thing black people have a gift in, is that We can tell the disingenuous. Like, yeah. We can tell when, when you're just doing something to do it. Yeah. And we can tell a real person because it's like... There's some white people that try to hang out with black people and it's just like, they ain't rocking with it. But you just have that one white person that knows in their heart that they're just being themselves. Like yes. and they And they immediately, black people will be like, oh, you're cool. Yeah. Oh, you know you. I love uh, yeah. you.
1: I love somebody that's not trying to fit in. You.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. be yourself. They're be yourself. Literally be in themselves. Like, and, that's a, and nobody's asking for you to try to fit in or do anything of this sort. Just be yourself and, and learn. Because it's like, if you... If you just present, if you just do your own work and present yourself in right manner, like people will to you.
1: Absolutely. And all this,
4: all this does not need to be this hard. No. <laughs> <It does. laughs> and, and, and people are just making it harder than it needs to be. And all we can just hope for is the people that hold the cards in this just die off. <laughs> 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 like, like, I mean, it's like if you because a lot of people are very, um, oh, hey. My, I love my grandfather's death, and and I just deal with it at, at yeah. Christmas time. Yeah, he's racist, That's but like, Christmas,
1: what are you gonna do about it?
4: But what are you, yeah. what are you gonna do? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I brought my black boyfriend home, and uh, my grandfather thought he was here to mow the lawn or something like that. Yeah. like like <laughs> like that. It's still but I have lawn. to
1: check. But I have to check myself too, because I have black members of my family who will say homophobic things when they see two black, I mean two gay people kissing on a commercial or something like that, and. I go, well, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, I, you, know, you yeah, can't. Even, yeah. when I need to be, I want people to be my ally and come to these marches. I need to be a better ally. I need yeah, to speak yeah, up in I a situation like that, you know? So I, I really had to come to terms with that in this situation because if, like you said about, if I'm seeing somebody, now I don't, I don't want anybody going out and spray painting buildings, but if I see somebody out there riding and taking tear gas in the face and they're not of my race, but that's how, that's, that's how much they're riding right now, Then how can I not do that for somebody who is gay, let alone a gay and black, let alone gay and black and a woman? My mother's a woman. So how can I not ride for a gay black woman or a gay black person if I want them to ride for me or just a gay person in general or trans person or anything? I want them to ride for me, but
4: they're out there at these rallies.
1: Absolutely.
4: Because they know this is their fight, too.
1: I saw, I saw, I saw a right? couple. Of, I saw a couple of trans women putting on a show. When I tell I mean, them, they were, oh my god, they, the kitties were out. They were, you know, heels they dropping, and the middle, I'm talking about there's thirty, 000, there's three thousand people in the street. They're like, well, we're gonna put on the show right now. You know, so they're at the, they're they're out there. <laughs> so yeah, so so we got to be there for them. You know, we got to ride for other people. You know, because intersectionality is a real thing. And I'm you, white, black, whatever. If if you're gay. I stand with you. And if you're trans, I stand with you. Especially if you're standing with me. And that was a realization I had to have. It's like, we should all be standing for each other. Wrong is wrong.
4: You can't just be like, well, it's not in my
1: community. So, you know,
4: so it's not my issue. And another thing I just add on this, like when it comes to, you know, right now, a lot of uh, white friends have said, you know, before I wasn't getting the information I'm getting now to change, to help, yeah, like they're actually getting plans, like playbooks. Yeah. To help. Yeah. So they can be lazy and just read what it, what it says. <laughs> <It's> like okay, <laughs> I'm supposed to be listening right now. You get the yeah, cautious. yeah. It's not about my feelings. It's not about yes. this It's about this. So right now, I feel like people are literally just trying to dumb it down so that people can get it. And I feel like you know, even in that way, because this this is not making me think on how, you know, the work I need to do. So I've been, like, planning on doing, like, weekly stories of um, racism that I've had in my life, like I did the one day, or weekly story time on my story where I'm sharing different black stories that they never heard. I didn't know that they didn't know um, of Emmett Till. So I know they damn sure probably don't know about the uh, Tulsa Oklahoma um, massacres. And I'm also going to be sharing stories about crimes, matching crimes, Yes. Like where where a white person does the exact same thing a black person does with the time they got. Yeah. And, you know, you'll get the people that try to be like, oh, but, you know, where were they? What state was it? What's this? It's like you kind of break every little thing down. It yeah. does not matter where it is. It happens everywhere. Absolutely. So I just think everybody needs everyone can be of help if they just think about what they can do. But now I'm thinking the same thing. It's like you said, if you're home and your family's talking about, you know, seeing two guys kiss on a commercial and... And they're just like, man, they're trying to shove this gay shit down our throat. That's that's something I've heard before. Yes, Um, I'm like, okay, it's the same way when someone says, oh, it's racist for somebody to hire an all-black cat. What if a white director did that? White directors have been doing that. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's called
1: television. It's just it's, it's called just called television tele- and movies. Exactly. <laughs> Gay people exist too, and they should get to see
4: and they've been a, a
1: loving commercial of them. They should get to feel included as well. Exactly. They're not shoving it down been, your throat. They're just giving the people who exist some spotlight for so they can see themselves.
4: And that's the thing. And, and it's so tiring. This, yeah. Just when I see black people do that, when I'm just like, you know, what that's what happened to us.
1: Yeah, it's so, like you know that feeling when Black Panther came out. Gay people want that yeah. too, you know. Exactly, it, it's it, that was an amazing day. So I try to just give people like a something to compare it to. And I think when Black Panther came out, we were all, oh, oh my god, the pride and Wakanda and all this kind of stuff. But if you put a Colgate commercial out with two dudes kissing, the world burns.
4: Exactly. And so why can't they exactly. feel
1: pride about themselves? And, and, and there's
4: been, and and this is the thing. It's like. Just when you say, you know, I can't change my skin color, like you can hide being gay, you can take off a uniform from being a cop. It's but all these things have existed since the beginning of time. Yes, there's been gay people, you know. There's been, but there's just always been a stigma. Someone always trying to quiet it. Yes, and and, and it's wrong, and 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 doing you know doing their due since. But now I just feel like people are just sick of everything and. I feel like that's why people like these celebrities that just go off all the time. Yeah. And that's why people like Donald Trump. Yeah. Because he goes off. Yes. He just says what people think. Yes. And that's why people fuck with him. Yeah. But that's why people fuck with Cardi B. Because <laughs> yeah.
3: It's
1: the same she, thing.
4: <laughs> she says whatever the fuck she wants, and she doesn't care about her fame to the point where it's like, oh, yeah, I said this when I was an 18-year-old living in the Bronx, but y'all don't have the same life as me.
1: Yes. My perspective you know? has changed, exactly, and I speak so, on that as well.
4: And and yeah. one thing I just learned, <laughs> this is this is I just learned this, and I just had this like eye-opening experience. I'm hanging out with <laughs> one of my white friends, and we go to we go to see. His I feel parents. like you put your hand
1: on the side of your face when you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> we go to his parents' house. And they're like, yeah, they need my help with something. We go there, and they just want him to move something in the yard. And then they start talking to their neighbor, and I'm just listening to their conversation. And it's just like, oh, I see you guys are planting these trees. Oh, you know, it grows better when you do this. And I thought to myself, when you're well off and white, you're just bored, (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah That's what do you there's is. nothing to be mad about
4: there's nothing to do yeah the reason they're calling the police at a park they have nothing to do <laughs> that is the highlight of their fucking yeah
1: week. like i've never seen i come to this park oh, at seven o'clock every day and you're and and you're this is different there's never a black person at this part of the park when i come exactly. here every day at eight o'clock exactly.
4: When you just sit and listen to an elderly white couple talk about something, it's just like, oh, y'all don't got shit to do. So we're going to call the cops on Tyrone because he's walking his dog and he didn't pick up the shit. Like, So you got nothing to do. And so my my you know, in closing, uh, just get a fucking hobby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so okay. like you're bored, yeah, yeah. and you don't have to deal with oppression or something like that. Get a hobby. Yeah. Just have a kid, pick up a book, and read about what's happening in the world and what we're going through. Like that's it. That's all you got there. The
1: more you know, if read, read, bored, read a fucking book. If you're book. if you're if you're bored, ignorant, <laughs> uh, learn, uh, teach yourself, and eradicate ignorance. You can make a that's difference it. in the world.
4: <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> and if you got a bunch of shit on your plate, just teach, teach. Teach a dumb friend something new. <laughs> exactly. Uh, in short, that's how this works. Gordon White, read a book and read about, about impressions and read about things you don't know about. If, if you got a bunch of shit to do, I always use that time. You're talking. If you're sitting on the plane next, I know you don't like talking to people on the plane. Yes. Or ever. But <laughs> if, if they chat in your ear off and they are saying some dumb shit, it's your best. It's your best opportunity to just be like, well, you know. And and, and, and and there's always a way. There's always a way. And I think with you guys and your platform, I've just been super proud of just seeing the growth over the years and everything. And uh, I know I told you that in private, but it's just, like, really cool to see. And it's good to know you both and to see you guys doing big things. Um, your fans are very loyal and awesome. And I love seeing so. a part of it whenever I can. And, yeah, man, just keep doing what y'all are doing because, you know, you have your fan base, and they're learning. And yes. I see on your Facebook, it's like you guys learn together. Yes, there's absolutely. You don't know.
1: So, I, think, I want this to be and, a platform to eradicate ignorance, but that takes conversation. Exactly. Even if the conversation, you got to have the conversation.
4: Yeah, one hundred percent. And I was like, I like I told you, I was like, there's been there's been times I've listened, and I've been like, ah, oh, you know, they just don't know about this. Yeah. Or they just don't know about that. And yeah. Oh, that happens a
3: yeah.
4: lot. <laughs> Whenever it happens a lot. Where, yeah, exactly. And you'll have some of your fans tell you, and it, you know, and that that's what we're all here for. But we don't have to be nasty about it, yes. just because you know somebody didn't know something about something. Like that's what we're here for. We can we can make this all work out. And you know, I'm always here. You want to call me? Yeah. I won't always be on the water. Just as just as we're talking, we got uh, of some white guilt we had a, a white family on a boat just ride by and they all wanted to wave at me. Just over
1: here. Well, if they throw a case of white claws your way, it'll, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, take exactly. the wave. You know? I'll take <laughs> the white girl. <guilt. laughs>
4: I, I will say this during all of this, White guilt has been giving me some like leeway to do certain things I usually can't because everyone's just like, oh, yeah. oh it's yeah. time. I'm not gonna bother them with this. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> haven't been ID for buying food, anytime. just you can just see it behind the eyes. Yeah, like I'll you're you're it. okay. I take it where I get it. Yeah, holding the door for me—that's a new one. That was a new one. Letting me skip in line. I yeah. was like, oh y'all are feeling bad. Thank you. <laughs> 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 I <I'll> take it. <laughs>
3: Well, I
1: well, I would say before I let you go to uh, um, p- plug some stuff, but everything's closed. So um, if you would- <laughs> 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 everything's closed, uh, this is former former musician Les Green. Uh, hopefully, he can be a musician some other day. But hey, if you would like to plug I, your your Instagrams, you know singing.
4: What if like <laughs> green, but you know what I will say. I'm gonna be putting out a lot more, like uh, you guys. And for those of you that do follow me from hearing me on the, on the podcast before, um, um, like I haven't been posting anything on purpose, That's because
1: it's not the time. I just feel
4: it, yeah. it's still not the time. For yeah, me. like people are going back to normal and they're posting. I don't, I don't feel ready. And the stuff I will be posting, like the next few, I'm planning on doing a few cover videos of just like really strong, you know, civil rights black um, songs. Cool. That Um, that does mean a lot to me and I feel like people need to hear it. And there's songs that I, you know, I didn't change it's going to come on the last episode. I'm going to finally do a cover video of that. Yes. Um, But I'm also going to do what's going on by Marvin Gaye. Yes. um, got to do strange fruit,
1: please. Strange fruit. Yes, please. I beg.
4: So those are the three um, cover videos. I might just make them all one video and just be done like that because I feel like that, that's what I need to get off my chest I, I I have to realize that my avenue is music yes and music really does heal the world yes um you know it'll 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 bring countries together so i I think I've taken a break from it, but I just needed to figure out what what I could do
1: to, Un- yeah, understandable
4: To feel like I'm doing something I mean you know the posts are fine, but I'm also putting like by, you know, my money where my mouth says, I'm donating. I have started donating. Yes. So like anything people post, I just click on it. If it's just a sign of petition, y'all ask us to just click a button and yep. sign the petition. Two seconds. If you think about it, it does not take that long. Nope. Signing petitions go such a long way. Yep. And it can happen overnight with the amount of people on the internet. Yep. So share it. Don't just sign it, share it so that people can do the same. Absolutely. Um, call these numbers. I saw there's one clip. Like, you can click on. You can click on a link, and it has the email filled out for you. You just have to fill your name in. <laughs> just so, dumb proofing
1: yeah. your activism. It, it's it's so easy to be an activist. So, in 20- easy.
4: <laughs> so please, let's not, let's, let's not let the momentum die. On yes. this one. and everybody keep doing their part and keep reminding people that you know we're all we are all in this together. only as the sound. We're in it together and shit way more fun when
1: everybody's on the same, when everybody's
4: rocking together. Absolutely.
1: That's all, that's all I got to say. All right. Well, Les, I want you to be safe uh, getting through the rest of Indiana and have a good time floating on your I, oh, lake.
4: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always travel with a white buddy so that I can get through <laughs> any state that's like this alive. <laughs> all right, man. I'm... You guys, thanks for having me on. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Next
1: time, like I said, I'll be more
4: available. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. Keep All right, man. I take care. You love you
1: too, man. Bye. Bye. All right. So that was Les Green. Yeah. Um, I felt like that was just necessary. I, I, I want this platform to be open to anybody who has a perspective that we can't speak on. Um, What I want to do is I want to, you know, want to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into this fucked up shit. And try to, you know, because we have some listeners here that have never been here before. And I want people to know this isn't this isn't typical. It might be more common now just because of what's going on in the world. But, yeah. you know, we usually try to keep it as light as we can with the topic that we're discussing, which is murder. Yeah. And try to be funny and things like that where we can. Um, it might take us some time to get fully back to that. But that's just who we are. So there's gonna be moments because you got sometimes you gotta you gotta you gotta smile through the pain sometimes, yeah, so I like to try to be able to do that where I can um, but like I said, we're gonna do is what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break this is uh all right by Kendrick Lamar and uh we'll be right back Bad trips like, yeah.
2: Nazareth, I'm fucked up homie you fucked up
4: but if God got us then we be all right.
2: All right, welcome back, guys. It's my turn to go first this week. So my story is about George Junior Steny Junior J- Junior George J- George. Now you getting confused? Jo- George Junius
1: Junius Steny Junior George Junius Steny. Okay, Jr. mouthful, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a bit lot, bit of a tongue twister. Yeah. Call so, him George.
2: Yeah, I'm. A, uh, that's uh, yeah, I'm gonna go by him. We gonna <laughs> okay. go by George. Okay. Um, so this uh story I found on YouTube, um. This was a, I've I, I actually never, I think I've seen this story, but I didn't, I didn't go and read it. I just saw it. It was like the picture, the main picture you see is a kid being, a young teenage kid being electrocuted.
1: Like a black and white photo? Uh, yeah. Black and I'm, white familiar photo. With the, I'm familiar, with the, photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. familiar so, with the photo. Yeah.
2: yeah I don't know if you heard the story or not. I don't know if anybody else heard the story. Hopefully um, this is a new story to you. Probably not, but hopefully it's a new story to, you know, the listener's.
1: Well, there are people who don't know who Emmett Till is. Yeah, yeah, so. this
2: is this is in the same lane of Emmett Till. Okay, um, not nearly as brutal. Yeah, yeah, but um, but but no
1: it's, but he was in a like an uh, execution chair. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought you know I thought the story was necessary based on the, what the times that we are yeah. in right now and everything that's going yeah. on. I just I thought this that. yeah, I thought the story would be appropriate um, for people that don't know. Yeah, just to learn some more Spread about awareness. Uh, yeah, about you know the um, Black history. Yes. So here we go. So George Jr. Stinney Jr. was an African American teenager, wrongfully convicted, wrong, wrongfully convicted at age fourteen of mm. the murder of two white girls in 1944. Mm. In his hometown of Alkaloo, South Carolina, he was executed in June of that year, still only fourteen years old.
1: Oh, so they they went right, they got right to
2: it immediately. Well, I mean, this the times. This is early. There's 19- no no due process no, for no, for a, a black a black kid. kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so his a, so his appeal to the governor for clemency was denied, which is no surprise, yeah. he was one of the youngest Americans to be sentenced to death and executed for the killing of two young Caucasian girls, 11-year-old Betty June Binnaker and 7-year-old Mary Emma, Mary Emma Thames. They were found dead in the company mill town of Alkaloo, South Carolina, um, of March of 1944, mm-hmm. after, they had, after they had failed to return home the night before. Mm. So the 14-year-old American African-American Lived with his father, George Stenney Sr., yeah. and mother, Amy. Also with the brother, John, who was 17, Charles, who was 12, okay. and sisters, Catherine, who was 10, and Amy, who was 7. She has the same name as her mom, Amy. Okay. So so
1: she's a junior. But yeah, man. Did
2: we have that conversation? Before? We did. I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I
1: was, yeah. I was wondering how you felt about that. Yeah. As nah, long man. as they're not
2: calling her junior. You're... Mm, yeah, her name is Amy. Uh huh. Everybody gets the idea she's named after her mom. Yeah. Just leave it. Just need <laughs> leave the it The car, after. Junior. Yeah, you don't need okay. to do that. Uh, so George Sr. worked at the town the town sawmill, um, and the family uh, resided in the company housing. Okay. So Alcaloo was a small working class mill town where white and black neighborhoods were separated by railroad tracks.
1: Sure. Which was common. Across, across yeah. the tracks. Yep. Metaphorically, but it came from a real state, a real a real situation yeah, yeah, yeah. where across the tracks might be the worst. It means the worst, the, the worst part of town.
2: Yep. Where all the black people say. Sure. So the town was typical of small Southern towns. And at the time, given segre- segregated schools and churches for white and black residents, mm. there were limited um, interaction between them. Yes. The bodies of Betty June Benneker and Mary Emma Thames were found in a ditch on March 23rd, 1944 mm. on the African-American side of
1: Alkaloo. Oh, yep. So already the fingers being pointed Immediately, at, black, at, at a black a black suspect. Yep, immediately.
2: During the search, after they had after they had not returned home the night before, the senior George Stenney helped helped in the search. So okay. he helped look for, for these this. these two missing white girls.
1: Yeah,
2: the girls had been beaten with the wep- with um a weapon variously reported had been a piece um of blood metal or a railroad spike. The girls was last seen riding their bicycle looking for flowers. As they passed the Stinney property, they asked young George Stinney and his sister, Amy, if they knew where to find Maypops, which is a local name for passion flowers okay. um, in the area.
1: Is this according to George or is, this, is this, did it say who this account is according to?
2: Um, the sister. Okay. I don't think okay. they, um, I don't know if they asked him, but probably the
1: sister. Okay. Got um, it. Got
2: it. So according to Amy, she was with George at the time the po- she was with George at the time the police later established for the murders. Yeah. Yep. So according to an article reported by the wire service services on March 24th, 1944 and published widely with the mistake of the boy's name preserved, the sheriff announced the arrest and said that George Jr. had confessed and led the officer officers to a hidden piece of iron both girls had suffered blunt blunt force trauma. T- um, to the force to the head and face. Mm. So already they're like, oh, you know, we know who did it, and and he, he showed us where he showed us. And before that, he told us he did it. He confessed. Oh wow! So reports differ, um, differ it as what kind of weapon was used. Right. According to a report by the medical examiner, these wounds have been inflicted with a blunt instrument, with a round head, with a um, like, what's the side of a hammer? Yeah. Okay. So I guess something you can just. They popped so, off a a wood piece or something metal right, right. that looks like a hammer and just beat them. You know whoever did it. Yeah. So both girls' skulls was uh, punctured. Mm. The medical examiner reported no evidence of sexual assault to the younger girl. Oh. Um, through um genitalia of the older girl was slightly, was slightly bruised. Mm. So white men showed up, and whisked them away. Alone, mm-hmm. alone with the white authorities, he quickly confessed. <laughs> or so they said he did. Right. Like most families in Alkalu, they were poor, but they were fed and clothed. Yeah. The Stinneys grew vegetables in their garden and drank fresh cow's milk in the morning. Whatever else they need, um, with whatever extra money they had, they purchased from the company store in, um, on Main Street. Right. So on Sundays, they walked to church with other local black families at the nearby Green Hill Baptist Church. So Emmy, who was eight, played in the yard with the with the young brood of Rhode Island red hens. Mm-hmm. As a pair of black cars drove up to the street, drove up their street, she watched um, white men in suits step out of the car and then walk into the house and to the back door. Uh-huh. So this is her house. Right. So she's outside and she's watching this whole thing develop. So George Stinney's sister Catherine remembers the day vividly in 1944 like it was yesterday. Right. This particular day, and this is from his sister, Gatherer. Mm-hmm. This particular day, I went, to a beauty, I went to the beauty parlor with my brother, Charles, and my sister, Amy, stayed home with George. Mm-hmm. And when we went back, we met, we met her on the road, and she said that George had been taken away by some white men in a the car. Mm. They took him away, she said. This was the last time they would ever see their brother again. Mm-hmm. So police arrested 14-year-old George in connection with the murder of two young white girls. About an hour later, a deputy announced George had confessed to the murders. This was from the news. This was was reported from the news. Um, This was an hour later. And they're just saying. This was was an hour later. And also, who
1: knows what they could have done to him in that time. Maybe he really did say it, but, you know, we saw the Central Park 5 case. Yep, I was going to bring it up. And it's like, you know, how they can just convince you to just say that you'd said something under duress. Yeah. And then convince you that if you just say it, it'll go, this will go easier. You'll be okay. We'll look out for you. And then... They fucking string you up as soon as you say what they wanted you to. Yeah. What they wanted you to say. Also, when you're 14 years old, you're scared as shit. Yeah, these guys are just grabbing
2: you. He probably don't know what the fuck is going on. Like At what? All. Like terrified. I couldn't. I couldn't imagine. So his trial lasted less than a less than a day and resulted in George being sent to the electric chair, making him the youngest person in the nation to be executed during the 20th century. Wow. And his family and supporters gathered on Monday, June 16th. To commemorate of the exact day that George was executed seventy years ago, Mm. this was um, a report from the news. It makes the world aware of the. This was from his sister that said this. Yeah. It makes the world aware of this atrocity years ago, and maybe make the people who did the crime and their families realize they knew about it. Yeah. And they just let it slide and let us suffer for years. Yeah. Amy hid in the kitchen coop as um as they hauled George away in handcuffs. She cried. Why are you leaving me, George? George hollered back, go get Kat and Charles and go get Ma. Then George disappeared into one of the black cars. It was the last time she saw her brother alive
1: that night. Or again. Yeah, Wow.
2: So George Sr. was fired from his job at the mill. His fight, his wife sobbed. Because they all are like, You you are the father you're of the father a ki- oh, yeah.
1: rapist killer. Yep. Wow.
2: Yep. His wife sobbed. They heard a lynch mob was coming. Mm-hmm. The father goes, we got to leave. Yeah. We got to get out of
1: here. Yeah.
2: The family fled to their grandmother's house in Pinewood, taking just a few things and leaving the rest behind. Sheriff's deputies realized Johnny, later dropping him off Johnny and his brother, Mm -hmm. later dropping him him on the side of the highway, leaving George alone. His family was not at the trial, which is...
1: Because they then probably didn't think they, they could get out. Of they pot. couldn't. They yeah, yeah. they
2: told them no. You can't. Don't even come. You don't
1: yeah. even come here. Don't come back.
2: Yeah. And as a fourteen year old kid, you don't have you your haven't talked to your family dead. in weeks. Yeah, that's, that's heartbreaking. It's like nobody's and, yeah. in your corner. It's yeah. that's terrifying. So his family was not at the trial. Why? Because they told the family, if you don't leave the town immediately, we're going to lynch you all. Yeah. You talk about terrorism today. You talk about terrorism today in America. This was a true terror. Yeah. They weren't there for their fourteen year old boys' trial,
1: which, you know. So for fear of a, their other children dying. Yeah, and and them. them.
2: And being um of your father, I I know I can't I'm not gonna sit here and say, Oh, I will go ahead and do it, but it's like, you know, that's that's a hard choice to make. For sure. That's a hard choice to make. For sure. Um, so when they threaten to tell the parents I'm sorry so um a Clarendon deputy sheriff H.S. Newman told which sounds like a fucking <laughs> some type of fucking ni- a name in the 1900s yeah that's like a, that's like, <laughs> sounds like the name of a billionaire yeah I'm H.S. Newman <laughs> fifth yeah so Clarendon uh, deputy sheriff H.S. Newman told paper, told um, reporters that within 40 minutes of his arrest George had confessed to killing the girls he added that George fatally struck them after they resist his sexual advances from a 14 year old. Come on, man. When they threatened to tell the parents, George picked up a foot long railroad trestle spike and attacked the young girl, first bashing her several times on the head before turning his weapon on the other girl. After confessing, Newman said George left officers to the spot in the woods where he had where he had hidden the spike. Not even George's parents knew where he was. Yeah. Days turned into weeks. As the trial approached and neither parent saw or spoke to George, mm-hmm. Mrs. Stinney prayed furiously. They didn't have any money. What could they do? Whatever happens to George, his father said, is in God's hands now. Yeah. A mere 31 days after his arrest, George appeared at the Clarendon County Courthouse in downtown Manning, the county seat, dressed in jeans and in a faded blue shirt. A reporter from the state newspaper. In um, Columbia noted that George looked calm and apparently a little concerned. The 14-year-old boy had not seen or spoken to his parents for weeks, and they were too terrified of the white mob to show up at the trial. Mm. Instead, strangers surrounded him. 1,500 people swelled in the courtroom. Too many to fit and flowed out every door. Right. The trial began at 2.30 p.m. and ended less than three hours. A jury of white men deliberated just 10 minutes mm. before returning with the verdict. Guilty with no recommendation for mercy. Wow. Judge P.H. Stole of King's Dreams, handed down the sentence immediately. Death by electrocution. George Stinney Jr., mm. you've been found guilty of murder by this jury. This crime was both brutal and malicious. This is from the judge. Right, right. I hereby sentence you to death by electrocution in accordance of the South Carolina state law. 17 year old Wilford, Wilford Johnny Hunter got arrested. This is an, another guy that plays a part. Mm-hmm. Um, he got arrested for draw riding in a stolen car with a couple of his friends about thirty-five miles away. Then, suing the police chase, left Hunter with a bullet in his abdomen at Sumter's Hospital in grave condition. When he recovered, he he wound up at the big he wound up at the big jail in Sumter with George, who arrived looking frail and un- underfed. A kid. Hunter, he said, hey, kid, Hunter said, what they got you for? They're going to electrocute me, George said. It shocked Hunter, and he, he steadied himself on the bench. Over the course of three days, George found a friend to Hunter. George was a kid who, likes, who liked to sing country songs from Grand Grand Old Opry. One of his faves was Ernest Tubbs' Walking the Floor Over You. I don't know that song. I don't know the right. artist. So they, they also played hide and seek in the bunkers. Now I want to play a clip from um. Mr. Hunter. Okay. About his experience um. With uh, George. Okay. Okay, so this was it. This was an interview, that Mr. Hunter did with you know, some. I don't know if it was a news station or whatever. Okay.
4: Quite possibly the youngest person ever electrocuted in 20th century American history.
5: I do know I do know that my mother had a friend and she was from Sumter and that she was coming to visit. My mother asked her to stop by and visit me you know? Mm-hmm. This lady yes, my sir. mother's friend. So when she did uh, she came by and she mentioned the fact that she stopped by the funeral home on her way over to see me and that they had burnt him to a crisp. Mm, wow. Yeah. That he was, oh man. She says it was terrible what they did to that kid. You know. Yeah. Hey. I said he was, oh man. Now, this is what she told me. Wow. Because they had him on display at the funeral home. Oh, wow. Did anybody visit him from his family or friends? No, no, man. Everybody had to get out of town, man.
4: His family. Mm.
5: He he didn't have no one. Nobody. He told me one time, he says, he says, he said, Johnny. I said, what, kid? He said, he says, uh, he said, when they electrocute me, he said, I'm coming back and haunt you. You know? (laughs) And I said, kid, I said, don't talk that way. So, mm. He didn't have anyone. He didn't have anyone, man. He, he snuck him out there. I could have been the last black person that he spoke to. Wow. You know, because when they came and got him, you know, you know, when they came and got him, man, I, I, I can't describe how it was, you know. I just, you know. And I look out of mine, you know, put my hand on the shoulder, you know, and the mm-hmm. other guy, and um, he just say, bye, you know, like that. Mm. You know? He said bye? He, he did. He said, you know, the way he said it, you know, mm. when they came for him.
2: At the, center. yeah. Uh, so that was um, an interview from Mr. Hunter. Um. So I guess you, they had a bit of a relationship for the short time that they were together. Yeah. In, in the cell, um, what shocked me was him having an open casket. I know. I know Emmett Till. That was a choice from his mom. Yeah. Because she wanted to send a message of how it's was Yeah, I, treated. It may,
1: I, my mind was somewhere darker than that because when they said put on display, I didn't even think about the graciousness of a uh, Putting them in a casket, I just assumed they strung them up from a tree, and put them on display that way.
2: Well, he said it, she went to the funeral home, so that's why I assumed oh, okay. that it was um, they had uh, some type of funeral for yeah. for him or and, whatever. And
1: then I guess white people came and took over the funeral and took his body. Is what I mean. If they burned him up, you know. Where well, you got electrocuted? Oh, oh, okay, wow, <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah, yeah never yeah. mind. Okay, okay, I thought like, I'm thinking like they lynched him at the funeral. Oh no, 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 he no, was no. already burned from burnt up. the from the uh, from the electrocution. electrocution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, got it, got, yeah, it, got yeah. it, got it, got it. Wow, which is um, yeah, like when they, they really when you watch like electrocution like done in movies, yeah, it always seems like the electrocution the electricity just goes through your body and yep. then you just you just die. But yeah, I mean you get fried yeah, yeah it, it fries you yeah
2: i uh, want to know it doesn't say but i want to know if his mom i mean i'm sure his family probably wouldn't want to see that but that would they didn't see him you ever know again. ever again but bef- you know before he got i wouldn't fired. want that to be the last time I said, me okay, either yeah. yeah but so i don't know i want to know
1: who you know who idea was to have the service or whatever it's community know. i would have to assume
2: yeah man uh, that's rough that's yeah. a i'm sure there's people
1: in that community that loved him that weren't his family you know like He's George. Yeah,
2: but to see him that way is yeah, that's tough.
1: But you got to put him you got to put him to rest. Yeah, I'm glad somebody stepped up and yeah. put something together. Even yeah. if his family couldn't be there. Yeah,
2: that's why I said I know Emmett Till's mom. That was a that was a choice first because she yeah, wanted she to send
1: wanted the yeah she wanted the world to see. Yeah.
2: Um. So at the Central Cor- um, Correctional Institution in Columbia on June 16th, 1944 at 7:30 p.m., standing five foot one, weighing just over 90 pounds. Steny was so small compared to the usual adult prisoners that law officers had difficulty um, securing him through the f- through the frame holding the elect- the, the, electrodes, the the electrodes the yeah the electrodes mm. so they couldn't fit him in the chair his feet wow. they have like these locks at the bottom
1: couldn't he couldn't even, fit there wow.
2: so Steny had to sit on on a Bible um in order to fit properly in the chair mm. which is the symbolism in that yes wow. uh, that's 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 wild. yeah. So they had a there's a mask that covered your face when they do this procedure. Um, the mask covering his face slipped off, revealing um, his his mouth being wide open. Yeah, his tearful eyes and his saliva coming out of his mouth. Yeah, the first jolts did not work, um, mm. and after two more jolts of electricity, the boy was dead. George Stanley was also perfectly innocent, but they needed a scapegoat, and in this country, especially in the south. When they needed a scapegoat, you always know where they was going to go. Yeah. Uh, black community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean that things haven't gotten better, but we're certainly not at the end of that process. And we all got to learn from this and work together.
1: Absolutely. Say that again. Can read it again. That part. Because I, I feel like people missed that part. I'm saying. Um, now, we all understand that things have gotten yeah. better. But that doesn't mean that they're fixed.
2: Yeah. And we need to work together as black, whatever, black whites, whatever, to fix this and to come together. And this all plays a part in what's going on today Absolutely. in society. Absolutely. So in 2004, George Friesen, a local his historian, I I'm, hope I'm saying his name, historian who grew up in Alkaloo, started researching the case after reading a newspaper article about it. Mm-hmm. His work gained attention of South Carolina uh, lawyers Steve McKenzie and Matt Burgess. In addition, Ray Brown, attorney James Moon, and others contributed countless hours of research and reviewing the historical historical documents, and found witnesses and evidence to assist in exoner- exonerating Steny. George, and this is the, the historian, uh-huh. I'm talking about, stated in his interviews, there has been a person that has been named as being a culprit, who is now deceased, which is unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, and it's always said by the family that um that that there was a. A dead, a deathbed confession. George said that rumored, rumored culprit came from a well-known, prominent white family. Mm-hmm. A member or members of that family had served in, on the initial coroner's in, inquest jury, which had recommended that Stinney was prosecuted. Mm. So the CRRJ, which is the Civil Rights and Restorative Justice Project, said that there are compelling evidence that George Stinney was innocent of the crimes for which he was executed in 1944. Mm. The prosecutor relied almost exclusively on one piece of evidence to obtain a conviction in this capital case: the unrecorded, unsigned confession of a 14-year-old who was deprived of counsel and parental guidance. Yeah, whose defense lawyer shockingly failed to call witnesses mm-hmm. or to preserve his rights of an appeal. Wow, and he had no,
1: no defense, none.
2: Yeah. There was no possible but way he was going to win that case. That
1: wasn't. That was by design. Yeah. Oh, that they, for sure. That they took him without his parents knowing and got him to confess really fast. Yep. It was the same thing that yep. happened to Corey Wise in yeah. in the Central Park Five case. Yeah. You and know? then
2: you give him a somebody in his defense that go, just go ahead and confess because this this is not going to. Yeah. It's not going to go your way. Absolutely. And as a fourteen year old
1: kid, you like, what the fuck? If you confess now, we'll get you a plea of 11 years or whatever you know what i mean where it's like but i didn't do this yeah yeah but it's not what you know it's what you can prove yeah and you confessed so they're gonna give you life like the least you'll get 11
2: years but like as a kid you're not gonna go you know what's the worst that can happen yeah you don't tell him that it's like oh i can i may i may possibly get 11 years but you end up getting execution that's penalty like yeah So the new evidence in the court hearing in January 2014 included testimony by Stinney's siblings that he was with them at the time of the murders. In addition, an affidavit was introduced from the the, um, Reverend Francis Batson, who was found, who found the girls and pulled them from the water filled ditch. In his statement, he recalls that there was not mud. There was not much blood. In or around the ditch, suggesting that they may have been killed elsewhere and moved. Yeah, to the black part. Of
1: that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, suggesting that um that the killer may have someone killed them and then moved. So Wilfred Johnny Hunter, who was in prison with Stinney, testified that the teenager told him, told him that he had made a confession and always maintained his innocence. Rather than approving a new trial on December seventeenth, twenty fourteen, Circuit Court Judge Carmen Mullen vacated Stinney's conviction. She ruled that he had not received a fair trial as he was not effectively defended and his Sixth Amendment rights had been violated. Judge Mullen rule, ruled that his confession was likely coursed, um and thus ad, um, inadmissible. She also found that the, ex- the, that the execution of a 14-year-old constituted cruel and unusual punishment mm. and that his attorney failed to call witnesses to preserve his rights of appeal. So Mullen... Confirmed, his, confirmed confirmed, her judgment to the process of the prosecution and nothing that Stinney may well have committed this crime with reference to the legal process, Mullen wrote, no one could justify a 14-year-old child charge tried, convicted, and executed in some 80 days. Yeah. Concluding that, in essence, not much was done for this child when his life laid in the balance. Absolutely. So family, family members of both Betty Benneker and Mary Thames which is the two white girls that was killed, mm-hmm. expressed disappointment in the court's ruling. The court's ruling. Because they, they,
1: they can never be convinced that that kid didn't do it. Yeah.
2: They said that although they acknowledged Steny's execution at the age of 14 is controversial, they never doubted his guilt. The niece of Betty Benneker claimed she and her family have extensively researched the case and argues that people who just read these articles in newspapers newspaper don't know the truth. Benwicker's niece alleges that in the early um, in the early 1990s, a police officer who had arrested Stinney had contacted her and said, don't you ever believe that boy didn't kill your aunt? These family members said that the claims of a deathbed confession from an individual confessing to the girls' murders have never been sustained, substantiated. So, rumors that they had, somebody that was on their deathbed was like, yeah. oh, I did it which mm-hmm. is, that happened the same as Emmett Till. Right. Well, I don't know if she's on a deathbed, but she, like, wrote a book. I don't know. Yeah, something man, whatever. Like Fuck yeah, them. yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Fuck them. Um, But, yeah, that was the story of George Jr., Stenny Jr., 14-year-old, that was convicted of killing two white
1: girls. And got a, a fucking, I don't even know if to call that a trial. Yeah. I think that's the biggest injustice to me because... I can't prove whether... I don't know George Gen- Jr. Stinney yeah. Jr., right? Yeah. I don't know. I can't sit here and say 100% that he did or didn't kill those girls. I don't know that. But yeah. what I do know is they don't know that, and they railroaded him before without giving him a just trial to prove that he was innocent or guilty. Yeah. And then they killed him yeah. immediately. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's injustice. And it, that's gross. That's disgusting. Yeah. I'm mean, 14 years old. That's insane. And yeah. he probably didn't do it, you know. If I'm just if, I, if you had to ask me if, if he did or not, I would probably guess that he didn't do it. Yeah. But they didn't try to figure that out. They just wanted somebody to die.
2: Yeah. And that was the whole and I did the story because it relates to what's going on now and that then people white people was, was able to manipulate the privilege that they have to commit a crime and then toss those girls. Yeah.
1: In a black, the black side essentially. Well, I'm sure that that a black guy did it is the evolution from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before it was just there was no question that you could do it. Yeah. But now, but that being, it's it's evolved into society now to just words. Yeah. yeah, yeah but before you could just you know, put some blood on a black person's door and throw a body there. And it's like, he he killed him.
2: Not even, not even that. Just say,
1: yeah,
2: (laughs) a black kid did this. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, everybody, you know, goes crazy. And then just like Emmett Till, yeah, they blamed him for something. And it was like, Oh, he did it. And they just went on with that story and then get that boy killed. And didn't look anywhere else. nothing, didn't do research. It was a black kid. That's all they need to hear. Yeah. At that time.
1: Yeah. But, um,
2: I just thought the story was appropriate, so I'm I'm hoping people, the listeners, didn't never heard that story. Yeah, now George you,
1: Junius, yeah, N- yeah. Junior.
2: Now you heard the story if you haven't heard it before, and now you're educated. I mean, you can do more research. Yeah, but I feel like I've I've hit on the story enough.
1: Yeah, you, and you've introduced it to some people who may have never heard it before. If right, 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 right. I'm not mistaken, I believe that this story was the inspiration for the Green Mile. Was it? I I believe so. I could be wrong, but I'm I, I'm I'm. I'm 85% sure. Okay. That this this story inspired The Green Mile. Yeah. I mean, because the little that, boy's pictures is everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um Michael Clark Duncan's character in that um movie was supposed to be like mentally impaired, but he was acting very childlike. Oh, okay. So I think he was supposed to represent George Stinney Jr. Yeah. in that movie. I I'm 85% sure that that that's true.
2: Yeah. Ah. Uh, so, yeah. Tell wow. us the story.
1: No, yeah, great. Um thank you for that. Yeah. That was a very um, enlightening story. I didn't know all those details. I only know the picture. Like I, the picture is very fried in my. It's like burned yeah, yeah, in my yeah. brain because it's a very. It's a very um, striking picture. It's just like
2: it's a, a face of a little boy that. Goes. Now
1: is that from a show or is that's not like I don't the, think that's him. Yeah, it's, that's, that's like from a like reenactment. It's kind reenact- of reenact- Yeah. It. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it. But that's what happened. Yeah,
2: that's exactly what happened. But yeah. um, but if you see the picture, it you will it can go. Lead you to the story. It leads you to the story, but it go. You see the face of a 14 year old kid that has no way of winning this fight. Yeah. And it's like
1: Yeah. You against the system. Yeah. That's a, that's 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 almost and, impossible.
2: And like. there was no system
1: for you know for for, for
2: black people in that yeah. time.
1: So. Yeah.
5: Yep. All right, cool.
1: Um what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, it's my turn to taste some fucked up shit. So stick around. All right, and we are back. Friend, it's my turn. I hope you are ready for my affirmative murder. Yep. Uh, last week, like I said, I I did a um I had Les come on and sing a song. We were a day removed from being high out of our minds on mushrooms. Highly recommend, by the way. Um, and I knew that I didn't want to do an episode. I didn't think we were in the right headspace to like cover fucking gruesome shit and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to put something out. So I read a poem called "The Ballad of Birmingham," and Les sang, "Change is gonna come," and um. That poem is very powerful. It's it's a poem that was written after a church bombing in Birmingham. But what I wanted to do this week was tell the actual story of what happened at that church in Birmingham. So this is the story of the Birmingham church bombings that uh, happened in the 1960s. The city of Birmingham, Alabama, was founded in 1871 and rapidly became the state's most important industrial and commercial center. As late as the 1960s, however it was also one of America's most racially discriminatory and segregated cities. Alabama Governor George Wallace was a leading foe of of desegregation, and Birmingham had one of the strongest and most violent chapters of the KKK. Mm. The city's police commissioner, Eugene Bull Connor, was notorious for his willingness to use brutality in combating radical uh, demonstrators union members and blacks so donald trump would have loved him Just gotta you know gotta be enforceful and dominate yeah that's the word to use bull connor was a guy that would dominate protesters civil rights leaders union members looking for fair pay He'd be like go fucking bust their heads in and get them off the streets that's how you deal with protesting that's how you deal with that stuff um here's also here's a not so fun fact by 1963 Homemade bombs set off in Birmingham's black homes and churches were such a common occurrence that the city had earned the nickname Bombingham. Damn. So he was just throwing bombs like in the yard. Molotov or... cocktails, homemade, just blowing. Oh, you said what? Oh, you looked at who? Oh, you want to have Martin Luther King come to your church? Boom. That is nuts. Super. And yeah, so earned the nickname Bombingham. In the spring of 1963, America's sweetheart, according to 2020, Martin Luther King... Had been arrested in Birmingham while leading supporters in uh, while leading supporters of Southern Christian Leadership Conference in a nonviolent campaign of demonstrations against segregation. So he was nonviolently protesting, mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people like to make it seem like, well, why can't everybody just be like Martin Luther King? We all loved him. They beat the shit out of that man back then and put him in jail and hated him. They hated him then. Yeah. So let's not try to make let's not revisionist history, Martin Luther King to use him to tell people not to protest because Martin Luther King was out there protesting and they beat his head in and threw rocks at him. All of that. So let's not, let's not do that. Yeah. I continue. Most people not knowing this, It's it's naivety, Naivety, but it's also ignorance. Yeah. It's mostly ignorance. People really invoke Martin Luther King. Like, why can't you be more like this? We'd respect that if you did this. And it's like, they didn't respect that. So I think don't use him for that.
2: I think when, when the ignorance part, I think is when, is when people got their minds so made up, yeah. on what they already believe. It's just like, well, I don't, I don't care what
1: you say. I've, this is what I read, and this is what I believe, and that's there you, that. There you go. <laughs> uh, while in jail, King wrote a letter to local men, to local white ministers, justifying his decision not to call off the demonstration in the face of continued bloodshed at the hands of local enforcement law of uh, law enforcement officials. So he had to send out letters defending his peaceful protest because people were saying. Why don't you just don't do it? It's going to cause, a, it's going to ruffle feathers. Uh, people are going to be in the streets getting beat. Don't do it. And he said, no, this is right. Yeah, This is the right thing to do. And so we're going to do it. And if the police, if that's how the police choose to respond, then that's just how the police choose to respond. But we're going to be there. Yeah, That's beyond commendable. I don't even know the words to, to use the, you know, that's the most righteous thing I've ever heard. You know, it's like, I know the police are going to be there with their sticks in the hands and everything like that. But we're gonna be there dressed in dressed to the gill, suited up, booted up, peacefully ready to protest. Yeah. And if they're gonna fucking beat us heads in, then that's just what they're gonna do. But we're gonna be there. Come they had suits and shit on. Oh, they were fly. Yeah. They were fly as hell. Uh, his famous letter from a Birmingham jail was published in the national press, along with shocking images of police brutality against protesters in Birmingham that helped build widespread support for the civil rights cause. Many civil rights protest marches that took place in Birmingham during the 1960s began at the steps of the 16th Street Baptist Church, which had long been a significant religious center for the city's black population and a routine meeting place for civil rights organizers like Dr. King. Klan members would routinely call in bomb threats intended to disrupt civil rights meetings, as well as services at the church. At 1021 a.m. on the morning of September 15, 1963, Some 200 church members were in the building. Many attending Sunday school class before the start of the 11 a.m. service. Addie Mae Collins, Carol Denise McNair, and Carol Denise McNair were getting ready to sing in the choir. Carol Roberts and Cynthia Wesley were going to be ushers at the church that morning. One minute later, a dynamite bomb exploded. Most parishioners were able to evacuate the building as it filled with smoke, but the bodies of fourteen-year-old Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, and Carol and Carol Robertson, who are all fourteen, and eleven-year-old Denise McNair, were found beneath the rubble in a basement restroom.
2: Was it so? Where was the bomb placed? Outside or was it was it, in the church? It was in the church.
1: It was in the church. I have to imagine it was in the basement.
2: Did the bottom, did, wait? Did the church collapse?
1: The church didn't collapse, oh. but the but you know there was rubble everywhere. It definitely it was a big explosion. There's pictures of it online. The church didn't collapse, but it definitely was like bl- b- bombed out. Mm. Um 10 they must year old did it the night before? They got in there at some point, yeah. I mean, you know. I I imagine it was the night before or maybe it was on the side of the building. You yeah. know, or something like that, but It's crazy. You know, it was it was a strong enough explosion to kill four four people and injure a bunch more. Now, this is crazy. Pay attention to this. But pay attention to everything. Yeah. Pay attention to this. 10 year old Sarah Collins the sister of Addie Mae, who was also in the restroom at the time of the explosion, lost her right eye mm. and more than 20 other people were injured in the blast. Two girls used to walk merrily. Oh, The, the two girls used to walk merrily from door to door. And I'm talking about Addie Mae and her sister, Sarah. OK, they will, they will walk door to door in Birmingham's white neighborhoods, selling the aprons and the potholders that their mother, uh, who was a housekeeper, had separately stitched to make ends meet so in they, white
2: neighborhoods yeah
1: because you know just two little black girls being adorable and people need pot holders and aprons i guess you know and it's not 1920 it's 1963 so they don't want you in their neighborhood living but maybe they'll buy something from you you know it, it's that kind of jim crow was that kind of era where it's like i don't mm-hmm. want them living around me i don't want my kids going to school with them but if you know one of those little you know monkeys is selling a candy bar i, I eat candy it was that kind of in between. As long as they know their place, mm. that was the key. So maybe Disgusting. they, very much so. Um, but anyway, uh, Sarah and Addie Mae would go door to door selling their uh, mother's wares. She would make you know hand stitched stuff, and uh, she said, uh,
2: "I wonder what the experience was like though, as far as just like the reaction he was getting from people."
1: Oh, I'm sure it was mixed, but you get thick skin. You learn when it's like, <sighs> "Get off my porch, nigga. You're like, "Okay, have a nice day." let's go to the next house. I heard this guy's nice. That's, you know, that was, that was the world. That was, that was, that was the world. Uh, Sarah knew how degradating, oh, I'm sorry, how degrading segregation was, saw the way her mother had to keep, had to make paper imprints on their feet, on of their feet, because the white department stores wouldn't let her children try on the shoes. So they had to basically like put something in the, like almost like how they have those uh, the paper liners at a doctor's office. Yeah, they would have to put those in the shoe before they could put try a shoe on at a store.
2: Oh, kind of like a stocking.
1: Sure, but it was basically because they didn't want black people's shoes feet in the shoes. If you're not going to buy it, like if you're just trying on the shoe, we don't want your like Skin, black yeah. blackness in the shoe. <laughs> so we need to put some kind of lining in it. Wow. Uh, um, Sarah said they looked at us like we were germs. But, some, but sometimes the homeowners who bought the aprons offered the sisters fresh-baked cookies and other treats. And back then, she didn't dwell much on the rest of it. So it was like, it's just, it's just how the world is. Some are nice, some are mean. It's just, you know, you got to deal with the mean. After the bombing, she found herself wondering about the friendly-seeming white people behind those doors. And and a new thought dawned. The white Klansmen who did this hatred, who did... who. The white clansmen who did this hated her just because she was black. Maybe they had smiled at her too before donning their hoods. Maybe they gave her, maybe their wife gave her baked goods. Maybe they opened, maybe they bought an apron. But you put that hood on, you don't know who's under that hood.
2: I just don't get it, though, man. Like, why is it such a problem? How was that affecting you, though? Like, how was my color affecting anything that you do in your life? I just, I just don't. It's, I just it's, don't just, understand. it's
1: just it's just a it's just a new social construct man like this wasn't always the way the world was, but somebody decided that it's profitable for there to be black and white and brown and light skin and all this kind of stuff, and then that kind of just stuck, and the world is the way the world is now but for and you then, to see some my f- magazines and t v said this is prettier than that and all this kind of stuff, so now you got colorism and all these kind of things and it all just stemmed from an an initial idea that you could be you're poor. But you're not black, so you're better than them. So you could just continue to be poor. But just remember, you're you you might be poor, but you're not black, so you're better than these people. You know, racism is as, as American as apple pie. It's a really new idea that this skin color makes you better than this other person. It's it's not a like it's not a as old as human society. It's but for very you to just new. but for
2: you to just hate it, just like you see somebody of color and go, ugh.
1: Like, We're not going to figure it out today on yeah. this podcast, but it is, it is the way the world works. It's pretty, you know, some people, a lot of people think that way. Um, so like I said, she went from dreaming of a career as a pract- as a practical nurse to working in Birmingham's factories after her eye was blown out. Uh, she, she, she started, she was, she was working in factories, grinding skillets, drilling aluminum, and she began to hate back glaring at her supervisors and white strangers in the streets. Once in her twenties, she thought about shooting a man who had called her a nigger in the park before getting a hold of herself. Now, how this? How old do you think this woman is? Who? Um, Sarah Sarah, Sarah Collins. Eighteen. Oh, I mean, like now. Oh, now? Yeah.
2: Oh, like seventy.
1: She's fifty-six years old. Oh shit! This woman is fifty-six years old, and in her lifetime, her eye got blown out. By a bomb that blew up in a church, she's from a from she's she's seven years older than my mother.
2: From like a racist KKK member,
1: yeah, that's crazy. You know, so people like to play this semantics game of when race when slavery ended and all this kind of stuff. This type of shit was happening one person ago, yeah. not even one person. Fifty six people. That's not a lifetime. Yeah, fifty six years ago. Actually, not 56, somewhere in between there, because she's 56 years old now. So somewhere within those 56 years, her eye got blown out yeah. by a church bombing. Like, her, she could be like,
2: oh, y'all just realizing this shit was going on for the last...
1: Oh, she is. She's been out there. She's a civil <laughs> rights activist. She's yeah. she's She gets her message out there where she yeah. can, but... People people don't want to hear this. People forget about these people. Yeah. Time goes by. People forget about this church bombing. They forget that somebody survived, and they go, yeah, I was there that day. Yeah. I, my eye was blown out. And
2: not much has changed not, since then. And I've been saying this for years. Yeah.
1: So the bombing, I know that's frustrating. I'm sure it's very frustrating. Yeah. I mean, you know, Civil Rights Act passed. Things changed, but then they just, they literally, that's the word. Things didn't get different. They changed. Yeah. So you still experience similar things, but you can't, you can't go to the books because the, the, the acts aren't on the books anymore. They technically changed on the books, yeah. but the action and the hatred and all that stuff is still there. Yeah. They, you just can't point to a book to say, this is racist. This, this law is racist. But if you're denying people, um, jobs because of the the way they, na- their name sounds, if you know, uh a black person with no criminal record is less likely to get a job than a white person who has a criminal record. I mean, these are the things that are, these are the things that are true. Yeah. But that's society. You So that's what makes us sound crazy because you're going off of, there's no rules. There's no rules saying this is racist, Yeah. but it's all based off of people's preferences. Yeah. And I prefer my, my work only hire white people, but there's no law that says that. And I, you can't prove that I'm doing that. It's just a coincidence that everybody here is white. Yeah. You know so you sound crazy when you pull the race card quote unquote that's where the race card came from mm. if you sound you sound everything's about race, man, you're crazy, but it's like sometimes it is though yeah as a matter of fact a lot <laughs> most of most times time it yeah, is yeah. a lot of the times it is, but there's no you can't point to a, a anything on paper to say that I'm doing something racist yeah. you're just you're just say you're just guessing yeah but a lot of the times it is it is race based but you sound crazy because there's no proof
2: that's when people go you can
1: always bring race into it.
2: But it is (laughs) like we're not just bringing this up like this is this is a real thing.
1: Absolutely. Uh, In the aftermath of the bombing, thousands of angry black protesters gathered at the scene of the bombing. When Governor Wallace sent police and state troopers to break the protests up, violence broke out across the city. Sound familiar? Uh, A number of protesters were arrested and two young African-American men were killed, one by the police, before the National Guard was called in. Sound familiar? To restore order, quote unquote. King later spoke before eight thousand people at the funeral of the three girls, fueling the public outrage uh, mounting across the country. The family of the fourth girl, however, held a smaller private um, service for their kid, which I guess you know they either didn't want to be a part of the spectacle or they just wanted to mourn privately, which I respect. That's their choice. Um, they did. They did. They like. They did the opposite of what um, Emmett Till's mom did. They were like, yeah. we we don't want to. We want to just be with ourselves, yeah. which can't tell somebody how to mourn. Uh, though Birmingham's white supremacists and even specific individuals were immediately suspected in the bombing, repeated calls for the perpetrators to be brought to justice went unanswered for more than a decade. So they had names. They already suspected Klan members. So they already suspected a group and had specific names to, to check in on. Mm. And they did nothing. And I also want to make it clear again uh, the Those people who killed George Floyd and were there to watch that guy kill George Floyd would probably still be working and at the very least would have just been moved to a different district at some point if what happened hadn't happened. If it hadn't been caught on video, if people hadn't protested slash rioted in the streets and caused an uproar, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And don't let any governor or any whatever tell you differently.
2: Ahmad Arbery's killers was out for like three months.
1: <laughs> Until video got out, and everybody was like, "Hold the fuck!" And up. they put the video out. Yeah. So they, if this, if his lawyer wasn't an idiot, who knows what would have happened? He charged at them. He had a weapon too. That's what happened. There's no video. And we would have never even heard that. Like you said, that was we heard about it months later. Yeah. So, you know. Anyway, uh, in 1977, Alabama Attorney General Bob Baxley reopened the case. Oh, I, I missed the part. I'm sorry. Um, the one of the reasons that the um, nobody ever dug into those names that they found is because it was later revealed that the FBI had in, had information concerning the identity of the bombers by 1965. So within two years, they had every they had information on who did it, mm-hmm. but they did nothing. J. Edgar Hoover, who was then the head of the FBI, disapproved of the civil rights movement. But he later died in 1972. So basically, they're implying that J. Edgar Hoover was saying, "Don't worry, don't. It'll cause an uproar. They'll start rioting again. Just don't dig into it and let it go." But when he, after he died, five years after he died, the Attorney General of Alabama reopened the case Mm -hmm. because there was no. What I imagine happened is J. Edgar Hoover was alive to kind of keep it, telling people, "Don't worry about it." Then he dies. People forget about it at the FBI to keep saying, hey, leave that case alone. And then everybody forgets about it. Then this guy comes along and he goes, man, what happened about that church bombing? I was a kid when that happened. What about that? Let's reopen that. Yeah. And then it reopens and then, you know, the ball starts rolling. So the person who kind of was the gatekeeper of not going into the story passed away. And, you know, somebody came along and reopened the case.
2: His name sounds familiar. Was it was like. J. Edgar M- Hoover? M- is, is, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. He's a despicable evil person. Okay. He started the FBI okay, and forget. um he bugged people and used their worst, you know, moments of their life against them. um He was the person that leaked out that Martin Luther King was cheating on his wife and um all kind of shit like that. He would get blackmail on people and then threaten them to do what he wanted. That's what the FBI initially was. It was like a counterintelligence. It still is that. But that's what they do. Yeah. You know, they come in, they break up things. Uh, movements and everything they they insert people into the movements to destroy them from within and you know so and he didn't like black people so you know fuck so he didn't like martin luther king Cause he was getting them all riled up you know when they should just stay in their place and just stay go to their schools that they are allowed to go to and don't try to come into our school just do what they you know make his job a little harder huh yeah yeah making his job a little harder um so yeah so uh bob baxley reopened the case and Klan leader Robert E. Chambliss was brought to trial for the bombings and convicted of a murder. Unconvict- and convicted of murder. Continuing to maintain his innocence, Chambliss died in prison in 1985. The case was again reopened in 1980, 1988, and 1997, when two other former Klan members, Thomas Blanton and Bobby Frank Cherry, were finally brought to trial in 1996. 1990- sorry, in 1997. This happened in 1963. Man. So they got to live, 73, 83, 93, about 34 more years of freedom and whatever, a life. When three 14-year-olds and an 11-year-old were murdered and another 11-year-old got her eye blown out and changed the course of her life forever. Yeah. They got to spend 34 more years just going, having beers and going to Kentucky or wherever they go in their car and just having a good old time. And it was free. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. The only person that got found out or got uh, charged the earliest was Robert Chambliss in 19. He was, he was, he was, he died in prison in 1985. And some, so somewhere between 1977 and 1985, he was rounded up and convicted. So he spent collectively le- about eight years in prison, but it wasn't that it wasn't as long after the bombing as these other two guys who it was in 1997. Yeah. Him, Robert Chambliss, it was like 10 years, 14 years later. But these other dudes got to live another 34 years after that, just hanging out and being free in the streets. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, Bobby Frank Cherry and uh, Thomas Blanton were convicted and sentenced to four life terms in 2001. uh, And Cherry in, in 2002. A fourth suspect named Herman Frank Cash died in 1994, like out and free. Um, before he could be brought to trial, two years later, after the two years after they were convicted, Bobby Bobby Frank Cherry died. Wait, what year was this? Two thousand two. Oh, okay. So yeah, so he uh, Bobby Frank Cherry was convicted in two thousand two. Two years later, he died. Damn. So nineteen sixty three is when it occurred. Two thousand two, an old man finally convicted of his crimes, and he died two years later.
2: So what's the reason opening this case?
1: What's the reason reopening it? Yeah. Cause they didn't think it was over, so they reopened it in 1980, and I guess they didn't find anything. They reopened it in 1988. And I guess they didn't find anything. Do you think it was worth it for them to do that? Yeah, cause those girls had no, there was justice. Yeah, true, but served. I mean, just charging somebody
2: at like 80s, like I feel like as a, as a family, I've been. Going.
1: I mean, they charge the Golden State Killer when you find them. They find you can't, you just can't just go like, oh man, well he's old now, so you that's know. That's I'm,
2: that's just, I'm just, i I'm, I'm saying that from, I'm not saying it from the point of view saying like. It was worthless, I'm saying. That yeah. He doesn't get enough punishment is what I'm saying.
1: Sure. Sure. But there's no other, there's really no, there's no um. matchable punishment for murder. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I know, I'm, I'm just saying. You, I'm just you could saying, put him in a church at 80 years old and blow the church up. It's like. Blow you know, his ass up. Yeah, oh, but yeah. I
2: was just, yeah, I said that. I just, I wasn't just trying to be like, oh, it wasn't worth it. I'm right, saying, right. Like, I get, you, yeah, I get yeah, it Yeah, from. Like, it's just
1: frustrating, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's like, yeah. he got to, they got to live this whole life, and now they're old and lived a whole full life, and now they get like, found, and then they die two years they later. They die, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I bet this like, almost even a laugh to them where it's like, whatever, I lived. I, yeah. Whatever, you got me, I guess, but I'm going to die soon. So either way, I was going to be sitting in a chair waiting to die. Now I'm just sitting in a cell waiting to die. So, you know, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. That ain't fair. Your um yes. Yeah, so, ain't fair, so. Life is very not fair. Um uh these four beautiful angels would still be alive today. However, mm-hmm. as tragic as the situation is, Addie Mae, Denise, Carol, and Cynthia did not die in vain. I hate that even from adolescence there's this um black women are um There's so much pressure put on black women to fix things, fix the community, fix the world, fix racism, fix whatever. And there's this little black girl that people have been filming on Twitter who was in these marches and she's no justice, no peace. And I mean, she's four Mm -hmm. and they're giving her a microphone to 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 talk to this crowd of people. And I'm like, she shouldn't have to do that. She should just get to be five. Yeah. But people see that as such a beautiful thing. And I'm like, no, 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 this isn't let her go home. And you fight. Yeah. And black men fight. That's a child. That's a child. But because she's a, will be a black woman someday, they see the power within her. And so they're like, let her lead this. It's, no, no, somebody else lead this yeah. and let her be a child. You know? So I hate that it's, you know, I have to say they didn't die in vain. They changed things through their death. These four black, young black women. They did do that, but they should have just been able to sing that day and be an usher in the, you know what I mean? Like they should have just been able to just be kids, but their death was a major factor in getting the civil rights act passed. It embarrassed the country. Them dying was them getting killed. That way was so embarrassing that the president at the time, president Johnson passed the civil rights act because the nation was embarrassed that these four children blew up in a church. He goes, oh, I guess I gotta listen to this black dude Martin Luther King now. I mean, shit, I'm getting hell from everywhere. Like white now, white people are mad. What? Like now, like now. Except the president's like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> so, anyway, um,
2: but you know what I mean,
1: though. Yeah, I get what you mean. It's yeah. it's this is a very parallel, yeah. uh, to what happen is happening now. Happen is this church bombing is very similar to the yeah. George Floyd situation this is nationwide. This is everywhere. Yes. Yes. People have to start speaking when even white people are upset. Yeah. Whereas you, where you go, oh, man, even white people are mad? Okay, well, then we got to say something now. We got to do something now. We got to yeah. pass some kind of law or listen or whatever, change. The, we have to do something. We have to change something because normally we could just go, ah, whatever. They're always complaining about Give something. Give it a week. Give it a week. Exactly. But now, that's the
2: you know, And that's the part, I don't want to derail you off your story, but that's no, the part please. that scares, not scares me, but that's the part, I'm, yeah, it scares me actually. Sure. It's just that, like that that thing they did yesterday with the Vince's Crab House or whatever. Uh-huh. You don't, don't, don't want, don't, you don't want it to be a fad. You don't want it to be a moment. I don't want it to be a moment, and then a month later, they go back you to see, this. You see, you see them lining up, yeah, and it was yeah. just like, well,
1: what he said it wasn't directed towards me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to hope that it's gonna make a difference. Like I said, I'm not some. I'm not. I'm not the fucking. They wouldn't let me be a black supremacist. My fiance is white. You know, what I mean? like yeah. I, I don't fit the criteria for being a black supremacist, but I do believe that you should empower businesses within your own community and buy black when you can. Yeah. Not because fuck white people or whatever, but Vince's Crab Shack, the people who own that place, clearly want to get your money, but fuck you. They don't care about you. Yeah. So why not give your money, why not empower somebody who looks like you, who you know that's not going to be a concern? At the very least... Maybe the service is bad, whatever the case may be. But you know that the money you're putting in their pocket isn't—they're not cracking beers open and making fun Nobody. of your people when they go exactly. home, but smiling in your face when they take your money. Yeah. So why not support a black business, and imp- and let somebody from your neighborhood make some money and put some money back into the community? And then the crab shack that's black owned gets bigger and looks yep. beautiful, and we all go there to eat and everything like that, and we don't feel like we're guests. And th- you feel like it's a part of your community. Yeah. You know, so that's why I'm a proponent of buying black, but I'm not some, you know, I'm not this person who's like, fuck white people. And, you know, uh, I don't want them to succeed in life. If, I, I, if right. Vince's crab, I wouldn't say fuck Vince's crab shack because it's a white dude owns a crab shack. Yeah, this this thing happened. I, I used to, you know, what's the craziest thing is. and It's so regional, but whatever. Those are the crabs I send to my grandmother. My grandmother lives in my grandmother lives in Las Vegas and she loves Vince's crabs. Yeah. And a I, lot of people do. And they ship and they'll ship the crabs to Vegas. So every year, that. birthday, Mother's Day, whatever my grandmother loves crabs, we pay them our money, hundreds of dollars to ship crabs across the country. We pay them our money to to go ship crabs to my grandmother. And now it's like I'm not giving you my money anymore? Yeah. If this is how you feel, then I don't want to I don't want to patronize your business anymore. Yeah. You know? So that shit was very much like, oh, I've spent hundreds of dollars at this place, yep. and they feel like this. Well, I'm not gonna, sh- I'm not gonna spend my money there anymore. Yeah, you know. So I think there's power in that, and people should just do it. I'm more of a proponent of quietly doing it. I think that going out in front of the pe- businesses that you think are racist or that have proven that they are racist and uh, holding up signs and everything makes them a martyr. Yeah. To where now all the other racist people are like, well, we're gonna go buy food from there. Because fuck you guys. Yeah. So now you get, you're giving them business. Yeah. I say, oh, what I said was now it didn't work out because a lot of people had the same idea and they went and found a black-owned crab place that was nearby and yeah. blew it up and they ran out of crabs. Yep. But and I, which I'm happy about. Kudos. I'm happy they got the business and I hope it continues. I hope it's not a fad like you said. Yeah. But I'm more of a fan of, oh, okay, you're racist. Okay, well I'm not going to shop here anymore. I'm not going. I'm not going to make a scene. I'm not none of that. Take my money. Let me take it somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Everybody spread the word. This place is racist. Take your money. Yeah. Take it somewhere else. Don't go protesting and, and, and bringing attention to yeah. them. Let them die slow. Yeah. Also, it gives them ch- it gives them a chance to backpedal. And exactly. A, and fix it. A, yep. Fix it. Yeah. I want them to just see the loss. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, we used to get like 40%, 50% black business. Now black people don't come in here anymore. Yeah. I want you to feel that and continue to feel the way that you do and, and deal with the people that you want to deal with. Yeah. You don't like people that look like me? Don't take my money and we're going to go take it over here to this business. Yep. I'm more of a proponent of that. But people, you know, protest how they protest. But in that specific incident, I'm not going to bring attention to somebody yeah. and give them the chance to clean it up and put some fake apology out and a video and all this kind of stuff and backpedal. And now they cleaned it up and people go, oh, well, everybody makes mistakes. Let's go yep. back to this. But no, go empower a business in a neighborhood that looks like you. And just get your crabs from there from now on. Yeah. And then when they when they grow, their crabs will be as good as, Vin, as yep. Vince's crab shit. Maybe yep. their crabs already are, but we just go they to know. this one because we it's, it's the one you go to. And it's closer. Boom. So that's how I feel. Yeah. Anyway, back to the story. So like I said, the president passed President Johnson passed the Civil Rights Act. Uh, um, so they were very they were very instrumental. Their deaths were very instrumental in embarrassing the nation into doing that. And in February 2006, the 16th Street Baptist Church was declared a national historic landmark. And on September 12th, 2013, almost exactly 50 years to the date of the bombing that changed the course of the civil rights movement, all four girls were die- who died—I know you don't like this, but but you know—is what happened. All four girls who died were awarded congressional gold medals. And two days after that, a bronze and steel statue of the four girls was unveiled. It is located at Kelly Ingram Park on the corner of 16th Street North and 16th Avenue North. So, you know, it's 2013. So, like, 50 years after this happened, they got some recognition and some medals and a statue and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, that they can't
2: enjoy. Yeah. But that's just, that's just how But it her works.
1: sisters, but Addie Mae Collins' sister is still alive. Yeah. And she can go there and speak about those girls that she knew And you got to look at that part of it. There's people who survived that church bombing who in front of that statue can tell that story as to hope that history doesn't repeat itself. Yeah. Even though history always continues to somehow repeat itself. But you got to keep telling the stories. Yeah. And hopefully that is what changes history. So shout out to Sarah Collins. Yeah. Still alive. Still telling her story. You know, still being an activist and keeping her sister along with those other three girls memory alive. Yeah. Uh, as of 2016, Thomas Blanton, who was the last living convicted bomber, was denied parole. He was 86 at the time, and he had asked the Alabama hey. Board of Pardons and Paroles to let him die as a free man. He won't be eligible for parole again until 2021. I hope he either dies by then or the same thing happens again. He's what, 80? He was 86 as of 2016. He, might be, he might be dead. So that was four years ago. Oh, yeah. So he's either 90 or dead. Uh, I hope he's dead. And I hope that... They don't. Nobody takes sympathy on them and goes. Let them go ahead and die off in a chair somewhere, at like his sister's house or his know, granddaughter's house or something like that. No, parole denied. Yeah, you will not die Let a free I'm man. Not. Yes, yeah. life in jail. Um, but yeah, that was the story of the Birmingham church bombing. Uh, once again, I want to say rest in peace to those four beautiful young girls. Uh, their names were Addie Mae Collins, uh, Carol Denise McNair. And Carol Robertson and Cynthia Wesley. Uh yeah. That's all I got on that. Um what it's we store
2: I didn't know all the details. I've I've heard it before.
1: Yeah. I just didn't know all the details to it. Yeah, darkness, man. It was yep. uh, it was um it was, scary. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, there they it wasn't in vain. You know, as sad as it was, it wasn't for nothing. Yeah. So um uh Yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to try to turn things around a bit and we're going to jump into these good vibes. That's right, folks, it's time for another segment of good vibes. It seems like it's needed more than ever the way the world is. Um, So we're here to provide that for you. Um, my affirmative, I mean, my uh, good vibe story this week is uh, uh, um, pretty on brand. I would say it's the story about Stephon Perez. So, 16-year-old Stephon Perez, Stephon Perez was marching into downtown Detroit with only 15 people earlier this week or last week, I guess you could say. More and more people joined him until he was until he became the unwitting leader of a large crowd of people. Above all else, the Michigan team vowed to keep everyone in line and get them back home safely. At the end of the march, after no looting or fights, he urged the protesters to comply with the city's 8 p.m. curfew so that no one would get hurt. With a megaphone thrust into his hand, he kept the protesters calm, even though he said they were scared and some of them tr- uh, tried to defy the peaceful intentions. The young boy said, I tried to keep everybody together. I tried to keep everybody as a collective group, and we marched. I'm surprised people listen to me. I'm glad they did because they're not hurt right now because they could be. And while the reporter was interviewing the young activist, Mayor Mike Dugan called on someone's phone and the call was broadcasted via a speakerphone on Facebook Live. The mayor said, son, I was watching the video and I saw your leadership. I have tears in my eyes. You are everything that's special about the city of Detroit. We're going to fight this injustice because of people like you. Stefan replied, some police officers walked with us in uniform uh, who stand, who stand united with us today, and I'm glad that you do too. The mayor who asked the team to meet him, meet with him this week, isn't the only one who's proud of Stefan. If it weren't for my, for his grandmother, he said he wouldn't be where he is today. As a teenager, I have put I have put her through a lot of stuff, but she stuck by my side when I was in need the most. And she and she'd be proud of me for what I accomplished tonight. The fact that I was able to put my hand up and stop everybody from causing trouble here tonight. I look back and smile at that moment, said the sophomore from the communication and media arts high school, kid's a sophomore in high school, the people followed me into battle. And I'm glad that I was able to get them home safely. The previous evening, the first night of the curfew, things had become tense in the Motor City as police fired tear gas and rubber bullets when protesters refused to disperse. Stefan, whose ancestors are African-American, Mexican, Puerto Rican and Nicaraguan, was more interested in taking a knee in peaceful solidarity when the crowd reached Michigan Avenue on Monday. So this was last week. Um, so that was the story of Stefan. Uh, Perez and I just wanted to tell stories like that because you turn on the news and you see buildings burning and all this kind of stuff and I want to let people know that that it, this is an overwhelmingly peaceful movement. Um, there's going to be people. People are hungry. People are people are people are you know people are hungry. People are are mad. People are frustrated at stuff outside of what happened to uh, 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 George Floyd and countless other people. Yeah. People are broke as fuck. Yeah. People are assholes. People are. Uh, paid agitators seeing a lot of that like people who are just there to incite violence to make your movement look bad yeah that this is all a part of it but i wanted to spotlight a young man who's being thrusted into the role of a modern day civil rights uh, activist you know he's he's a 16 year old kid who wanted to do something for the day and it just grew and snowballed into this massive thing and they go, well, he's the guy that was at the front and we all joined into this thing. So he, he's the leader today. Yeah. And I hope that sparks something in this kid. And I hope he goes on to do great and amazing things. Yeah. So shout out to Stefan and you know, and I hope he, you know, cont- I, th- I feel like a lot of us were awoken by this George Floyd situation and and we go, How do we let's stop, you know, how do we contribute to the conversation? Yeah. How do we make a change? Enough is enough. I've been quiet for too long. This was the spark in a lot of people. Yeah. And I think it's very inspiring to see the youth out there on the front lines.
2: Yeah. Especially at that age, because I
1: wouldn't Yeah, sixteen. Yeah,
2: that type of, the idea to go and do stuff like that. Yeah. I wouldn't be brave enough to
1: do Like I said, I mean, we were Trayvon Martin's age when that kid was killed, man. Yeah. It didn't, you go, oh man, that's crazy. And then you move on. Yeah. And I hope that this doesn't happen in this case. Yeah. I feel like it's such a big situation that I don't know. I don't think it can.
5: Yeah.
1: But, you know, we've seen trends. Everybody was doing the Dougie at one point. Everybody was doing, you know, the Savage Dance. So we've seen trends come and go. I hope this isn't a trend. Yeah. I hope Amazon putting Black Lives Matter and all. I hope it's not a trend. I hope they put feet, like actionable items on the table and make an actual difference as opposed to trying to um, pander to. The times, yeah, and go, you know, Dove soap is, you know, we're putting out black soap this month because all <laughs> because Black Lives Matter, and then you buy the soap, and then they don't do anything really to contribute, yeah. and they move on. It's made money off of it, exactly. Yeah. So I hope that that is not the case with this moment, and it doesn't feel like it. I got to I feel like that's the most important thing that I I want to say is like this feels different. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it, it really does. I I don't think that that's a crazy thing. This doesn't feel like a, just another time where people are protesting. Like this feels different. Yeah, you know, and and some, and things are gonna change for the better or for the worse. But things are gonna be different when this is all over. Yeah, when people get out of the streets and you know, um, every things start to calm down. There's gonna be things that are changed. To make this never happen again, and whether that's for the good or for the bad, it's gonna be changed, and that's just a fact. Yeah, that's all I got, friend.
2: Yeah, um, I don't. My good vibes is just me highlighting the highlights of what's going on right now. So I don't have Absolutely. a traditional <clears throat> good vibe story to just to read from. Uh-huh. But I just wanna talk about, um, you know, we on we on Twitter a lot. Yeah, and like Black Twitter, uh huh, people that's been exposed for being racist and stuff yeah. like that are being exposed like Absolutely. people are losing their jobs which you know it's something i don't go ah, i wish somebody used their job but if, yeah. if in certain you know certain situations then you sh- you should be yeah you should lose your job scholarships people have been losing scholarships yeah because they've been following. even if they're not racist they've been following this trend that they see other people doing that they may just think it's funny sure um on like these social networks or whatever but that also um has he? Has the guy been charged yet for George Floyd? The guy was charged. He was charged. And
1: three other guys were charged as well. Say they haven't been convicted yet, though. Nobody's been convicted. Okay, well, yet, still,
2: that's still a step but forward. But nobody,
1: nobody was still waiting to see. I heard that the investigation was opened up into the Breonna Taylor situation. Oh, that's um, I
2: did hear about that. That yeah. was the, the the one that was instantly killed. For people
1: who aren't aware of the Breonna Taylor situation, I want to go over it really quickly yeah. because you know, like I said, I like to try to just—I don't want to just give the headline. Yeah. Breonna Taylor was a young lady. She looked like your cousin or my cousin. Yeah. She was rambunctious and loud and funny. And she was uh, in the medical field in some kind of way as a nurse or some kind of technician. And she was asleep at home with her boyfriend. And the police officers had a no-search, I mean a no-knock no knock warrant yeah. for the arrest of her ex-boyfriend yeah. who was in prison already.
2: So it wasn't a guy that was in there. It. it wasn't the okay. guy that
1: was in there. Okay. So the door gets kicked in. Mm-hmm. This guy goes, what the fuck? Yeah, who was that? grabs his legally registered firearm and busts a shot at whoever just kicked in his door yeah they fired 20 shots into the house the dude survived brianna taylor died in her sleep she was murdered in her bed they arrested him they eventually let him go but again they let him go because the story got attention yeah you know and maybe i'm wrong but that's how it feels because they had they had control of the narrative yeah. yeah, we we had a search warrant we went in the house. He had a gun. Shit went sideways. He shot at us. He yeah. tried to kill a police officer, you know. But then people started to get traction onto it and go, "What happened?" But why would?
2: What do you need a no knock?
1: I don't know why you need a specifically a no knock. I know knock when you
2: have a at. when you have a SWAT team surround the whole house.
1: Exactly. It feels, it feels like you want to go in there and, and kill that person. You yeah. want to get right. You don't you want them to stare. Re- up, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You want to you- catch them when they're slipping. Yeah and but your 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 warrant is wrong yeah you are the person isn't here so why would you not want to be able to knock to get the story you know i would i would hope if you got a no knock warrant you have all the like we this dude's in here that dude was in prison that's wild so that's the breonna taylor situation and nobody's been charged in that case yet
2: well i'm glad that's reopened also um i wanted to talk about um how us as black people how powerful we can be when we go when we stand up together and unite and go oh we're not gonna we're not gonna tolerate that absolutely we're gonna stop like the visit crap again i'm gonna keep going back to that sure. but
1: but it's a it's a direct example yeah,
2: yeah. It. So it was like oh we're not gonna support this business because you guys are racist or whatever absolutely. we're going to take our money and go somewhere else to show that you know we are more important than you guys think we are absolutely and we help pay our bills and help you run your successful businesses
1: absolutely
2: and i feel like when it kind of sucks, but it's like when people's pockets become compromised, that's when that's when people oh, yeah. start. That's, that's when that's, that's when people want to That's when people want listen. Absolutely. That's when people want to listen. So I just want to, I'm glad that, you know, we are standing up and going, nah, we're not going to, we're not, we fed up with this shit. We're going to take our money somewhere else. Absolutely. Because then they'll go, oh shit, well, these people was paying most of our bills. Yeah. This way we was getting most of our income from. So
1: maybe we do need to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to listen to anything until it affects them. Yeah. So, when
2: it, when it, when, I, when the money becomes when that when they, it's all about the money when yes. that money becomes when that money the income starts to drive, this won't be go oh wait
1: what are they saying yeah 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 so I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big fan of that um absolutely uh thank you for that that was those were some really good points you made yeah um like I said uh to anybody who's a new listener it doesn't we don't usually get this deep but maybe we will from now on I don't really I don't really know I don't know that we're kind of just uh, growing with the times I tell you like this. Um, I was a person who, you know, everything kind of happened with the election. And then we got to a point where we go, we're going to stop talking about that. And nobody wants to hear that. We're here. They're here for for true crime and this, that and the third. And let's not talk about that. I will speak on this platform about what the hell I want to speak on from this point on. You know, I don't really give care to give that man any more of my attention. But this time and what's happening right now, I'm not going to go. Oh well, people said they're t- tired of hearing about the protests because it's on TV all the time. So they just want they just came in for true crime. It's like okay, well then maybe you should go, just go find another podcast. So for anybody who's listening, this is their first podcast they're listening to? Um, if you're looking for like a getaway or a distraction, every episode might not be that. Yeah. Because I'm we're gonna be going as the news goes. We're gonna be going as the times go. And if there's something that's important to uh, people that look like me. There's information that I feel like needs to get out there. There's uh, information important to people who are out there on the front lines that I feel like I need to speak on. I will do that, and yeah. so will so am my partner friend. Yeah, and that's just how it is. So um, if if that is a problem with you, then you can go to some other podcast that is just does the stories and you know doesn't talk about anything that's going on in the world. Yeah, and God bless.
2: Did you hear what Trump said? Sorry, I'm
1: joking. <laughs> <laughs> <not good> <laughs> uh, with that being said, uh we're gonna go ahead and get up out of here. I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner and true crime Francell Evans, and we'll see you guys next week. Deuses.